This is the Movie Hall of Fame Class of 1970 For Thursday, November 12, 2020 Adam Hall Hello How you doing? I'm good How are you? I'm that's your name <laughs> That's really who you say you are Some days I, I don't feel like that's the case But oh, no. <laughs> other days Yeah, call me Nico Yeah, <laughs> Call me Nico <laughs> Uh, it's not. It's not the best. It doesn't roll off the tongue the same way that James Bond does. No, yeah. definitely not. Rest in peace, Sean Connery. Uh, I'm killing two birds with one stone. By the way, with my quote at the end, I already have it figured out. Oh, great! Yeah, that's right. Wonderful. Are you okay? I won't even ask. You'll, you'll, you might hate me for it, but we'll we'll get there. We're still here. Yeah. Everyone's still here. We took last week off because you know the world was going through some shit. Mm-hmm. And now we're back and yeah. we're talking about movies. Yeah, the world's been going through some shit. It's been an interesting couple of weeks and a weird one. Uh, uh, in terms of movies for me, I've had this funny occurrence lately where uh, a, a friend of mine, we've been doing a couple movie nights and he's wanted me to recommend exclusively horribly miserable fucked up movies to him. Okay. And I'm Which like, is your forte? I guess I don't like that. That's my <laughs> just forte. what the doctor ordered. <laughs> I like to think that I, I I watch everything, but I is does it just take precedent? Just the fact that someone can stomach those movies, therefore it's automatically your forte. Because I watch far more like pleasant movies than fucked up movies. And no, you have an appetite for pleasant movies as well. <laughs> I, I get it. No, I, think I, I have a strong appetite for pleasant movies. I mean, look at this list. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like if if you're like a carnival act that can like swallow glass you know and like that's his act and it's an amazing thing and he tours the country as the guy that swallows glass Mm. he's not eating it all the time i mean (laughs) and i'm sure he doesn't enjoy eating glass (laughs) but like it's just something he can do and therefore it is notable and he becomes the glass swallowing guy and that's i think sort of what you are like it's not your primary appetite it's not your primary diet but it is something that you can tolerate, and therefore it is, is, it is a noble feat. Yeah, well, I stick out because no one else can do it. Is right. That, okay, yeah. That's all. <laughs> well, yeah. like I'm sure the bearded lady didn't like growing that beard out. <laughs> That's, you know? But those aren't real ladies. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It was uh, – yeah, because it's, it's just funny because this, this buddy of mine is like the most mainstream moviegoer you could possibly find. Yeah. He likes like a lot of like good movies, but it's – for the most part, like it's not something that ventures too far away from like Zemeckis or Spielberg. Yeah. Which is fine. And many of those movies we'll be talking about today. Yeah, sure. But um he was asking me about Midsummer, and I'm like, Oh boy, Midsummer, you you are you you're sure you you can do it, Wyatt? And he's like, Yeah, I can do it. And I'm like, Okay. And then I leave. The next day he calls me up while I'm driving. He's like, Adam, what the fuck? What the fuck was that? What did you just do? I've never felt this way before in my life. That was the most disturbing film I've ever seen. And I <laughs> I'm just How like, adorable. I'm just like, oh, he popped his cherry. So cute. I, I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't, I was like, I didn't tell you to do it, man. He's like, yeah, but you thought it would be good. I'm like, oh, I think it's a great movie, but I don't recommend it outright unless you're like ready for something like that. He's like, I want more. <laughs> this is the most unique film experience I've ever had. I'm like, okay, I guess speaks volumes to the quality of that movie, but interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, what else you want? 
he and he's like, I want hereditary. <laughs> okay, go for so it. I gave him hereditary, and I had the exact same response. But again, this is so weak sauce, though, because you, I know you, and you can dial that knob up to eleven if you wanted to. He's only at like a seven on the Adam fucked up meter right now. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Midsummer's is up there though. I wouldn't call it a seven. It's a little bit higher than, than that. Than that, um, hereditary is more like a seven for me. Yeah, even though I love hereditary. No, you can do much worse. Though. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. And you have done much worse with me. Mm-hmm. I agree. So what's next for him? He just watched Requiem for a Dream. Oh, again, yeah. like yeah. a five. Yeah. For him, though, for him, it was similar. Yeah. Like, get back to me when you make him watch Cannibal Holocaust. You know what I mean? <laughs> when, <laughs> I don't know if we're ever going to watch Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> you haven't seen Cannibal Holocaust. I have not. But uh, next week, um, not as like, like, doesn't make you feel miserable, but like, I want to introduce him to a whole new level of like, what the fuckery. So we're going to start with Eraserhead. Oh, okay. And I think that'll be good. Yeah, that's, sure. Yeah, that's a good... Good chaser. Yeah, yeah good good introduction yeah. You know, to the cult. Have you been watching anything yourself? I've been watching, uh, I get you know, The Mandalorian, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's been fun, right? That first episode was pretty dope. I have not watched the second one yet. Oh, the second episode is really good. Okay. It's more contained in everything. Uh, I thought it was weaker, but then I watched it again. I'm like, this this episode flies by. So are, are they just like remaking every classic Hollywood genre each episode on The Mandalorian? Is that basically <laughs> what they're doing? Because that first episode is so Seven Samurai. It felt like something out of like, uh, like, like Yojimbo or something, even though it's not... That's, Kind, it's kind of what it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like Once it's, Upon a Time in the West, whatever. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a Western. I mean, that's just what the Mandalorian's been since the first season. It's yeah. just a space Western. They are really turning into it, though, in the second season. It worked, though. I mean, I thought. Oh, it, it works. I, 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 I can't deny. Like, I understand, like, they're pulling from a lot of sources, but, like, this is a good version of that strange amalgamation. I had a ton of fun i actually kind of loved it oh yeah <laughs> i loved it <laughs> i continue to be so into the mandalorian i think, it's, I think it's really good <laughs> like i i'm not saying nominate it for best drama at the emmys which they did last year you know that might be taking it a step too far but like as populist entertainment like i am so fucking into oh it. oh my god no they've, they've dialed into it more i just think this is capturing star wars better than the sequel trilogy 100 it's like i i mean yeah it's not like perfection television or, or anything but as i it kind of is though in in its own way yes in its own, in way. Its own way it is yes yeah no I, it, it's 100 like i'm also watching the queen's gambit on netflix i don't know if you've seen i like the queen's gambit oh have you watched it how many episodes have you watched i've seen everything but the last uh, episode okay I'm, I'm not that far into it yet but like that is a show that is very dense and has like a lot of character stuff and it can often be very dark and the dialogue is very subtle and I love that show. I think it's really, really good. Um, but, you know, sometimes you just need to change it up with The Mandalorian a little bit. And, I, you know, I, I'm a little sick of dense television. I kind of miss the days where television was just television. This is what I'm talking about. And I was ex- I was thinking about, like, why is this such comfort food for me? And I, I think there's just no pretense of any of that. Yeah. It is just concerned with being a fun space adventure. There's no there's hardly any politics there, it's not interjecting you with many like social issues that you worry about on a day to day life basis. It's just, it's the best kind of escapism for me, uh-huh. and I d- I just think that the fact that it steers into that so hard is just wonderful, and it just doesn't care. It doesn't care about like making like a profound point on life. Right. You just walk away from it having a good time with these characters, and it lets itself be an adventure of the week, which yeah. is something that I miss so much. Like everything is serialized now. Yes, I know. And back when they started serializing television, like it was. It was a cool step forward, I think. Like when Sopranos came out and when The Wire came out and, you know, even stuff like The Shield came out, 
you know, I think it was like, oh, wow, actually, TV can be movies. Like, we can actually invest with these characters over multiple weeks. And now it's like, you know, fucking sitcoms on CBS are serialized. Yeah, they took it too far. You know, cartoons on Netflix. You know, like, I (laughs) I watched the Bill Burr thing, F is for Family, and that show is serialized. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's okay to just get in and get out. Like, it's okay to just watch an episode here or there and be able to follow what's going on. Mm -hmm. Like, there needs to be a little bit of both. Like, there has to be, yes a larger vision for what you want the show to Mm be. But there needs to be an understanding that the episode is the primary delivery system for these stories. And that art form, I think is sort of slipping away. Yeah. And the Mandalorian is bringing it back. Like I can still worry about whatever Giancarlo Esposito is doing. And I can worry about what Carl Weathers is doing. But also, I just want to see the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda fuck up a, a space worm. You know? <laughs> yes, what's wrong with that? Yeah. What is wrong with that? It's 45 minutes a week. It's perfectly episodic. Each each episode is, is its own, like, nicely contained story. And, yeah, I, 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 I really like the second uh, episode. I think most people would watch that and think it's maybe a step down from the first episode just because the first episode's so, like, big and explosive and exciting. And this one's far more contained. But Is Oliphant in the second episode? Okay. And I, I love me some Timothy Oliphant. I was very surprised to see him, by the way. Yeah. And we, <laughs> and we get to play the same role again. He's always playing the same How many role. fucking cowboys is this guy going to play? He likes his cowboys. What do you want? And once upon a time in Hollywood, he literally plays an actor playing the characters he played in yeah. two television shows. He doesn't play a cowboy in Live Free or Die Hard. That's true. I like him in that. I guess that's true. <laughs> he plays a tech terrorist. Couldn't be <laughs> further removed from a fucking cowboy. Yeah. Uh, we got Boba Fett back. I'm sure you were just jazzed about that. So, okay, that is Boba Fett. <laughs> yes, it's Boba Fett. Okay. It's, it's Tamara Morrison. Who played him in the prequels. Right? Played Jango Fett. It was the dad. Yeah, I got yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I, I did sort of pick up on it when there was that comment about the Sarlacc pit in the mm. middle of the episode. They're like, wait, it's an abandoned Sarlacc pit. I don't know if it's the same Sarlacc pit, but... But when they essentially implied that, yeah, Sarlacc pits, sometimes you can kill the Sarlacc, and the pit becomes abandoned. They were planting the seeds, and then they paid it off at the end. Yeah. Will he come back? Who knows? I wonder what will happen. (laughs) Apparently, Pedro Pascal is, is out, so... That's what I heard. Another thing I picked up on that first episode... What? Like, Pedro Pascal is clearly not on set. (laughs) <laughs> for these scenes he's uh in and out we'll say yeah yeah the the first season you could tell like ah sometimes maybe that's just a stunt double there were times though where the dialogue synced up a little more cleanly and it you could tell that he was on set this time it's just clearly he's in a sound stage in in in, in like a fucking encino uh-huh and, and they're yeah. shooting this shit on location i think you're gonna get more of that out of the second episode especially in one scene in particular where he's communicating with some x-wing fighters it's like yeah, it's the it's probably the weakest part. Like I bad I, ADR. I see what they were going for, but it's a little weak. Yeah, Mandalorian. It's good. Though. No, it's, it's 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 awesome. I'm loving it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's what's been going on in my life. What's been going on in your life? I don't know. Just like obsessing about the fate of the free world. <laughs> oh, really? Is that what it is? It's really all yeah, I've been I, doing. I couldn't care less. <laughs> I, I'm obsessing about the fact that my my yard is full of leaves and falls in full spring now. Foliage. And yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It was. Yeah, I, I could care less about what's going on in Washington or all that shit. Yeah. No, I kind of took like a two week break from movies because this year I, I sort of realized and I'm just looking at like my letterboxed and I'm up to like almost 300 movies watched this year and like this year more than any other has been like the year of new just, movies 
or just just movies in general movies in general okay that i have watched this year I, i'm almost at 300 okay um most of them new movies though and really yeah i mean not from 2020 but like oh, new movies okay, to okay. me okay yeah. like I, I have just been obsessing about film this year and i've you know been writing a lot about it and we've been podcasting a lot about it and um I, I, it's just been like a nonstop sprint, man. Just watching, watching, watching. And then I took a two week break to enter the world of politics and to just like watch cable news every night and mm. to check out rallies and check out analysis and just read lots of fucking news. I've read so much New York Times this week. Oh it's crazy. God. Too much intake, man. You got to slow down. But I thought like, oh, yeah, this will be a nice little break because you know, when we do this podcast, sometimes we watch so much shit that it, that movie watching becomes a chore. And that's never fun because we love movies. I know. And uh, so, you know, last two weeks, just nothing but fucking CNN. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Please take me back to movies. I know. <laughs> movies. I, I need to go back. Because for me, it's been more like a desperate thing. Like I've watched some new stuff. I watched The Impossible uh, the other day. Good movie. Really good movie. I, yeah. was, I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, I thought Man, the things that happened to Naomi Watts in that movie. I was saying like this is uh, when I when I wrote about it in my letterbox review. It's like this is by f- at least from what I've seen in a while, the most R rated PG-13 movie I've ever seen. Like, oh, yeah. How did this get a PG-13 rating? This is nuts. It's a re- fucking color of the water the yeah. entire time. <laughs> the amount of just junk in that water. Just it's, it's yeah, horrifying. It's probably even worse in real life. Too. Yeah. But like I, the way they're like tossed through the water in this like ragdoll fashion where they should be so dead. Yeah. But somehow they survived it's fucking crazy yeah and abby was crying the whole time yeah but somehow more bearable than the election (laughs) a fucking tsunami is more bearable than the election american politics let's just put that into perspective uh (laughs) jesus christ but point being after that two-week break from from movie watching i hopped right back on the wagon and i watched some of these again uh for the first time in a while and uh, I'm I'm back, baby. Good, good. I'm back because I I don't know. I've been like, like a desperate scenario. The new stuff I I have no interest in. A it's lot, been tough. A lot of the new stuff I'm like I understand I can watch it, but I simply don't care. I don't care about Palm Springs. I don't care about the King. Oh, of you St- should care about Palm Springs. I don't care about the King of Staten Island. That you don't need to care okay. about. But like like a lot of this new stuff that you force upon yourself, I'm like I just yeah. want the best of the best. And while. I, I'm glad I technically I haven't seen as much mediocre shit as I'm sure you have. Yeah. <laughs> it's lonely, man. It's lonely. It is lonely. <laughs> Movie watching can be very lonely, <laughs> especially in quarantine. Jesus. Um, okay. Cool. Let's get into it, though. Mm-hmm. Movies. We're back. Yes, movies. Class of 1989, six nominees for induction into the Movie Hall of Fame. They are Say Anything, Dead Poet Society, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Born on the Fourth of July, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, and When Harry Met Sally. Very 80s list. Yes. You wouldn't say so? It's not like overtly 80s in the same way that like... 1984 was like whoa right oversaturated calm down 80s it's like too much sugar yes this is a little more i would say i don't know it's matured in a way yeah it's like the most mature version of the 80s well you're sort of seeing the 80s transition into the 90s yeah i would say interestingly enough yeah i would agree you have several movies that are so cliche and so sugary and so 80s 
Um, but then you have the beginning of what will ultimately become the 90s independent movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you have some movies that sort of blend the two together. Yep. Uh, kind of the last stand of that of that era of movie making. And I think it comes back a little bit in the early 2000s. Um, but I think it's a, a good list overall. Would you no, say so? Good year. Good year. Not a bad year whatsoever. I think, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have, I have thoughts on all these movies and I don't think it's a, it's a bad list whatsoever. I don't even, I was looking at the list again. Uh, it's not like the greatest year ever, but I certainly don't think it's the worst. Now you might think that we are insane for not including some very notable movies from that year. And you would be correct. Uh, do the right thing is not nominated here, but we've already discussed it. We have already discussed it. We have already inducted it. It is in the movie hall of fame. Mm -hmm. Uh, that is settled. Yes. That is obviously the inductee from the year 1989. It is the most obvious choice, but, uh, no, <laughs> no, it's in there already. So relax. Uh, Batman is also in the movie hall yeah. of fame already. <laughs> we have just pillaged this year, man. Now we have pillaged this year on prior podcasts. So, well, hey, we, we, I guess we liked the, the year, but I, I kept, I kept, I, th- I think this was the thing is that I, I had thought we'd already discussed the year. Yeah. And then it turns out, no, we've just talked about other movies from that year. Right. Time and time again. Right. Uh, yeah. So Batman, Tim Burton's original, mm-hmm. we talked about when we did the class of Batman. Mm-hmm. I think that was like a year ago at this point, over Joker. a year ago. It was preparing for Joker. Holy shit. We've been doing this a while. Uh, Ed crimes and misdemeanors. Uh, yep, 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 yep. my favorite movie of 1989 <laughs> is not here yep. because we discussed it on the class of Woody Allen. I could have nominated it. Yeah, you could have, but I'm going to let you off the hook. <laughs> all right. Um, highest grossing movie of 1989, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, okay. followed by Batman Back to the Future Part 2, the best Back to the Future sequel, Look Who's Talking, and Dead Poets Society rounds out the top five. Um, a truly bizarre year at the Oscars. Oh, really? Truly bizarre. What happened? You ready for this? Here are your nominees for best picture. Born on the 4th of July. Dead Poet Society, Field of Dreams, My Left Foot, and your winner, Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, it's this year. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. What would you have put in? Uh, not Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> have we made that clear? I fucking hate Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah, I know you do. I hate that movie. Do. How do you feel about that movie? Uh, I think I saw it when I was five. I don't remember a goddamn thing about it. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, the director of Driving Miss Daisy was not nominated for Best Director. Well, you I, have among here are your nominees. It's very weird. Only three of the best the Best Picture nominees were in the Best Director category: Woody Allen for Crimes and Misdemeanors, Peter Weir for Dead Poet Society, Kenneth Branagh for Henry V, Jim Sheridan for My Left Foot, and then Oliver Stone wins Best Director for Born on the Fourth of July. Oh, interesting. Okay, weird I, split. I didn't know that. Yeah. Kenneth Branagh was nominated for Henry V? Yes. I love that movie. Do you? I've never seen it. I fucking love that movie. I haven't done any of the Branagh. I, I think I actually watched one in like a theater class in college, and that was it. I really like Hamlet, but you have to be in a mood to watch that because it's like four and a half hours long. Yeah. And uh, it's so well done. Like, it's undeniably great. But like, yeah, like, like get, get prepared. <laughs> Strap in for a movie like that one. Yeah. Is that the Hamlet with Mel Gibson? No. No, 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 no. That's Ken- the modern day one in like a video store. Did Kenneth Branagh do that? <laughs> There's a lot of Hamlet. Or is that Macbeth? There is a Kenneth Branagh Hamlet that is like exactly beat for beat uh, the, the 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 play. Yeah. Um. Then you have the 
the um, Mel Gibson one, which is more of like the medieval look. You know, it's not because I think Kenneth Branagh's is slightly updated, but not quite. It's not modern times at all. But uh, I think the closest you get to that setting is Mel Gibson's. And then the Ethan Hawke one is the modern setting one. Oh, with the video store. Yeah. Got it. OK. Apologies. So who did, who did the modern day one? Michael Almereda. OK, got it. Is that movie good? Have you seen that? No, I have not seen that one. I hear it's all right. I heard it was okay too. Um, okay, so that's best director. Then you have best actor. Your nominees are Kenneth Branagh for Henry V, Tom Cruise for Born on the Fourth of July, Morgan Freeman for Driving Miss Daisy, Robin Williams for Dead Poets Society, and then Daniel Day Lewis wins for My Left Foot. I've not seen My Left Foot. Uh, I mean, I don't know. No, not a fan. He paints with his toe. Oh, I don't know. That could be interesting. <laughs> I don't want to hear you besmirch my left foot. We, we will we will talk in a minute about who should have won this award and how it is an absolute travesty that Daniel Day-Lewis won. It is an absolute fucking travesty. I, yeah. You, you don't like performances where actors are... are uh, don't do anything. Don't do, what, yeah. What, that, hey. that would be what I don't like. <laughs> I, I don't I don't this is this I like is, when actors act this is some discriminatory behavior if they're sitting in a chair so they're automatically not doing anything Nico absolutely not I love all handy capable people I'm just saying that when actors do it it's lazy you just hate it Jessica Tandy wins best actress for driving Miss Daisy um kind of a, a, a weak nominating class there uh Denzel wins best supporting actor for glory obviously that sounds about right uh among a, a, a crop of uh, Danny Aiello for Do the Right Thing, Dan Aykroyd for Driving Miss Daisy, Brando for A Dry White Season, and Martin Landau for Crimes and Misdemeanors. Uh, and then Brenda Fricker wins Best Supporting Actress. But what I want to get to here are the screenplay categories. Okay. Because you could argue that one of these is the most stacked category in the history of the Oscars. Best Screenplay Adapted from Another Medium, Driving Miss Daisy wins. Yeah, Born on the Fourth of July, Enemies... Field of Dreams, and My Left Foot in that category. Okay. Whatever. Best original screenplay. Crimes and Misdemeanors. Do the Right Thing. Mm. Sex, Lies, and Videotape. When Harry Met Sally. (laughs) Which are, I think, my four favorite movies of the year. Right there. That's the top four. Yeah. None of them won. What won? Dead Poet Society. Really? I didn't know that one. Yeah. A very Oscar pick. I I mean I mean yeah we'll get to my thoughts on the Dead Poet Society but like yeah that's a strange choice. I mean <laughs> a very strange choice. Weakest of the five, isn't it? It's not a weak screenplay, but I mean it, there's there there's there's something far more distinct about those other ones, but for for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, mean I, two. In, I mean four incredible scripts, just incredible scripts. I mean like so, like four of those scripts. I mean th- three or four of them are like a voice finally coming out. Yeah. Which is very interesting. I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. Spike Lee, Nora Ephron, Steven Soderbergh, a hundred percent. Yeah, that's and odd. then Woody. I mean, say whatever you want about that movie. Like that is a, a an excellently written screenplay. That is a great structure for a movie. The dueling stories coming together at the end, and I don't know. Dead Poet Society is just like Hollywood bullshit. 
<laughs> I like that movie. We'll talk about it in okay, a second. I, can already, I like it. I like it. No, I like mm, it. I, like I can it. already feel it happening. No, I like it. I like that movie. Sometimes I wish you knew nothing about the Oscars. <laughs> it's just... Sometimes I wish you knew nothing about the history I mean, of these but movies. but what an incredible list of nominees. <laughs> Stop, it. Stop it. I mean, that should be the best picture <laughs> list, right? Stop it, Nico. Shouldn't you, that be the best picture uh, list? God, I can't do it. Driving Miss Daisy! <laughs> All right. Honorable mentions. You can't just say fuck you to the Oscars and move Fine, on. Fine. Fuck you, Oscars. There you go. <laughs> Honorable mentions. Um, Kiki's Delivery Service mm. came out that year. Neither of us have seen it, right? No. We've done enough Miyazaki, I think, um, for a lifetime. Cinema Paradiso I came out. I haven't year? seen it. A lot of people love it. To keep telling me to watch it. Okay. Little Mermaid came out. I like Little Mermaid. Beginning of the Disney Renaissance. Mm. Um, I don't think it's my favorite of those movies, but... Yeah, good movie, certainly. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> Film that I have a lot of uh, love for. Not like a, a great movie, technically, but come on. It's Bill and Ted. Yeah. No, I like it, too. I haven't seen the new one yet. Me neither. I gotta do it. Uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Which I've not seen. Yeah, I mean, it's whatever. Glory, as I just said, Denzel. Uh, Pet Cemetery, the original, came out in 89. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Mm. Horrified me as a child. Good movie, though great movie horrifying one of the non-horror movies that fucked me up as a kid is it just the ants yes is it just the ants 100 percent. what Man, was okay so wait a second what was oh it was the scorpion was the bad one the scorpion was the bad one right, right yeah that's the right. ants were good guys but the yeah the, the ants actually might be uh, a little creepier to you a little creepier yeah that stop motion man not into it uh you like the abyss don't you yeah i really like the abyss that came out that year yeah. the burbs early tom hanks movie Field of Dreams, which I do not like. <laughs> I like it. I hear people like it. <laughs> I like it a lot. I've heard that some people enjoy that. <laughs> I movie. quite like that movie, uh, Nico. I'm pretty sure it's an urban legend that people like it, but <laughs> I've been told <laughs> some people have yeah, good things to say yeah, about Field of Dreams. Those people out in the boonies, yeah, they like their Field of Dreams. Sure. Uh, <laughs> don't worry about it. I had, I had a political joke, but forget it. Okay. Uh, the, the Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover came out that year. Movie I need to watch. I really want to watch that, too. Oh, we need to do that someday. <laughs> One of Ari Aster's favorites. So, yeah, yeah we, we must see. Early, like, NC-17 movie, too, I think. Is it NC-17? I think is so. It, is it because of its, what, is, I, it, I didn't hear it was, like, particularly sexual, or am I completely wrong? No, I think you're definitely wrong. I think it's okay, very okay. sexual. I, I think. Know. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I thought it was just, like, horrifying. And it was like so disturbing that they had to th slap that on there. But I don't know. It is an NC-17 movie. Uh, if you go to the parents guide on IMDb, sex and nudity is, right. quote, severe. Oh, OK, cool. <laughs> so there, well, you, there you go. As is violence and gore. Oh, wow. Let's do it one day. Uh, Mystery Train, Jim Jaramouche movie. Uh, one day we'll do Jim Jaramouche on this podcast. What do you think? You yeah. into the Jaramouche? Not really. More of a me guy than a you guy. Yeah. Not, yeah. No, I could take it or leave it. Lethal Weapon 2. Friday the 13th, part seven. Okay. A good movie, right? Uh, yeah, sure. It's fine. <laughs> tie me up, tie me down. Pedro Almodovar. Uh, that's, I think, Antonio Banderas. Haven't seen it. I haven't done the Almodovar. One day I will. Uh, Weekend at Bernie's. Haven't seen it. Really? So good. No, really so good. Oh, young Nico <laughs> loved Weekend at Bernie's. Absolutely yeah. loved it. Major League came out that year. UHF, the Weird Al Yankovic movie. <laughs> that movie has some funny fucking shit in it. But that's more, uh, uh, why is this a thing? I've never seen it. I've only seen p uh, pieces of it. And it's like 
a guy trapped in movies or something like that. Yeah. There's a really, really great Rambo sketch with Michael Richards in it, and it cracks me the fuck up. Oh, man, we it, have to do it. It is so stupid. <laughs> it is so unforgivably stupid, but God, I love it. Oh, one day we'll do it then. Turner and Hooch came out that year. More Tom Hanks. Uncle Buck, all-time favorite John Candy performance, maybe. Uh, have you seen For All Mankind, the documentary? No. Yeah, I hear that's great. It's about the moon landing. Huh. Um, yeah, maybe I have to get around to that. Roger and Me, Michael Moore, breaks onto the scene with his documentary about Flint, Michigan. Parenthood, starring Steve Martin. Drugstore Cowboy, uh, which was a Gus Van Sant movie. I don't know. Drugstore Cowboy? I've never so. heard of it. Roadhouse. Roadhouse. And uh, this is one that if I had realized it came out this year, I would have nominated it. Fabulous Baker Boys. You ever seen that movie? Mm-mm. Jeff and Bo Bridges. Michelle Pfeiffer. So fucking charming. Okay. Incredibly charming movie about jazz musicians. All right. Love that Fabulous Baker Boys. <laughs> Both bridges are fantastic in that movie. I guess I'll get around to that. So good. There's a lot of movies I missed out on this year. So. So there you go. I had to watch a few for this pod, too. National Film Registry has Do the Right Thing, Field of Dreams, Roger and Me, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Cool. Let's begin with Say Anything, dot, dot, dot. Big year for the ellipses. <laughs> well, uh, oh, yeah, there's a couple. I didn't Big even, year. I didn't even see that. Look at that. <laughs> cool. It was in, people. Ellipses was all the rage in 1989. And now it's been taken over by Neil Breen for I Am Here. Yes. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Written and directed by Cameron Crowe in his cinematic debut, starring John Cusack, Ion Sky, Ion, Ion, and John Mahoney. A noble underachiever and a beautiful valedictorian fall in love the summer before she goes off to college. Mm. In your eyes, Adam. In my eyes? In oh, your boy. eyes. How did you like this movie? Well, it was funny at first. I was... um watching it and I, i'm like oh there's that girl who gets put in the well in silence of the lambs that's funny and then i was like oh there's the girl that jumps oh the the the, the friend, friend of the yeah okay and then ioni i'm like oh there's the girl that jumps from the car in zodiac oh interesting <laughs> she's the girl that jumps from the car in zodiac yeah Oh, I was like, where do I recognize this person? Oh, that's who it is oh, oh. my god serial killer movies they're all lining up here great <laughs> And there's John Cusack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that that was my first thought, me being me. Yeah. But yeah, man, I, I want to spend the rest of my life with this movie. Yeah. <laughs> fucking, oh my God, I love this movie so fucking It's so hard. good! Yeah, it's it's like, it's, mm, it's a contender for my favorite one on the list. I think it's absolutely wonderful. I'm shocked you hadn't seen it already, because yeah. this is such like a, a rite of passage, this movie. <laughs> it's so 80s, like it has that iconic image of, of John mm. Cusack. I mean, in your eyes, it, it was, I think, a, a hit before this movie came out, but it certainly etched it into the public consciousness um and then fucking john cusack's unbelievable in this movie i know he's so good yeah i love that like sort of awkward confidence he has in every scene that he's doing yeah how he rambles on but he kind of pushes through no matter what yeah it's just the most lovable uh, uh, like warming thing this is this is another like comfort food francis ha type of feeling for me mm-hmm. um i've never like wanted to spend so much more time with people again like that's that's always the 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 calling for a movie that I'm just like like really attached to. I love these characters so much. Mm. I love Ioni Sky to death. 
Like, like I look at her as like, yes, this is the coolest person ever. Yeah. I love her so much. And then John Cusack is like the coolest dude ever. Yeah. Like we all want to be just like him, even though he's a loser. Right. It doesn't matter. Yes. <laughs> and there's just, there's just su- such an endearing quality. Like it, it's, it's, I just think this movie's so like pure in mm. a way. And it's, it was really like, 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 I don't know. There's like an optimistic quality to it that was just nice to see given like what's been going on in the world. <laughs> this kind of movie that I just needed. I just needed like a hopeful couple to like work out yeah. any, regardless to how different they are, regardless as to how their, their upbringings just don't align. And the father couldn't give a shit about Lloyd. Yep. Like, Oh my God, I just want to see Diane and, and Lloyd, you know, do their thing and be happy forever. And again, like, like not like a novel concept, but sh- like, it's just, I don't know. It's so charming here. I can't get enough of it. Hundred percent. Yeah, the eighties sort of had a way of making the loser the hero mm. um, in a way that we really haven't been able to capture since then, before or since then, really. Like between the Breakfast Club and something like this, um, you know, being just sort of the the idiot on the one way track to nowhere was, you know not only admirable, but also like you were sort of envious of him. Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of wanted to be this guy um, because of just the way he viewed the world and uh, the, the relationships that he, that he got into and his sort of just love for life, just despite, you know, a pretty like mediocre life. And I I think like mediocre is putting it lightly. Like this is a guy whose parents are in the military and they left for fucking Germany. Right. And (laughs) he's got like nothing. Yeah. Just sort of bumming around kickboxing. And I don't know, like you want to go to Seattle and and live this guy's life and, and, and have his, uh, his outset. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it is just one of those right time, right place movies. Mm hmm. But yeah. I don't think it's like aged poorly too. I feel Certainly like you can still watch this now and and and, and love it to death. There's just a, there's just an, an an element of this movie that really helps with perspective, you know, and and sort of examining what really matters versus what doesn't. It just makes you think, like you know, like like even if you're you're someone who's heavily involved with work and school, not to say that that's a bad thing, but if you let it, you know, take over everything that you are, you're sort of missing the point of just living and you know enjoying the people you're with. I I always found it incredibly touching for that. Yeah. And one of the things I love about this movie too, is it doesn't turn any of these characters into a stereotype. Like Mm -hmm. not even the dad. Yeah, exactly. Like you have seen these characters a hundred times before, right? You have like the slacker who actually has a heart of gold and respects women. You have the nerd who doesn't know how beautiful she is. But she just is constantly on the outside and she's crying on prom night. Mm-hmm. And then you have the dad who is like a hard ass and he's too strict and he keeps his father down and he hates the boyfriend. And at first glance, that's what all of these characters appear to be. But as the movie progresses, you start seeing these stereotypes break down a little bit. Like Ione Sky, when she goes to that party at the beginning of the movie, she's very self-aware about, oh, yeah, like I kind of missed out on some of these experiences in high school. But now yeah. I'm learning very subtly, not like beating you over the head with it, but very subtly that I should sort of stop and smell the roses a little more and take myself a little less seriously. Like she's not like a prissy, like um, conceited high school girl. Like she has many dimensions to her character. And John Cusack at the same time is kind of a slacker, but people like him. And he, the entire time is, is never someone that uh, you, uh, you, you feel bad about loving. And, the father, although he contains multitudes, and as the movie goes on, you see that he is a flawed character himself, is like a good dad. And yeah. her, his daughter likes talking to him. And, you know, it's it's just very um, 
just very subtle and expertly drawn how, how these mm. characters are ultimately portrayed. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just one of the things I love about this movie. At first glance, you think, oh, yeah, another 80s high school movie. And it was that, but in many ways it wasn't. I don't know. I mean, I, I, it, to me, it's it, there's something to the voice and there's something to the way it handles its characters that's so different from like what John Hughes would have done. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think there is a comical nature to a lot of what John Hughes does. Like it, you get the idea, but there's a heightened element to everything that goes on, even in like The Breakfast Club. I know that's the point of The Breakfast Club, but right. – they're not exactly grounded in a, some, in the way that these are. Like even just the way that these characters talk to each other, yes, just feels so perfect and so relatable and something that I, 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 I to this day I still see. How about that sex scene where they're just like in the back of the car and she's like, "You're shaking." Yeah, it's so intimate, right? Yeah, it's very, it's, it's like shockingly intimate for an '80s high school movie. I know. I, I was surprised. I didn't. Again, this is the thing. I didn't think the movie would go there. Yeah. I was I was expecting uh, these characters to to really not work out because the the, the, the the expectation is that they they hit these strange bumps that are sort of forced upon them by the plot. Yeah. When it's really just the characters kind of disagreeing and asking questions. And most of the time, it's just John Cusack's friends being like, wow, I can't believe you're with, with this girl. It's not like, fuck you for being with this girl. Right. Get out of here. Right. Because so many movies do that. But this one is literally just like, really? You're with her. Good for you, man. Right. Because that's kind of what it's like. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. <laughs> it avoids like. so much cliche. Yeah. You're 100% right. Yeah. And that sex scene's great, by the way. Yeah. Again, because, I mean, it's it, people, there's nothing explicit about it. It's just tender. Yeah. And I just love that. It's like, can't, can't these sex scenes, like, do they all have to be like Jennifer's body? <laughs> <laughs> Am I too big? <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And it is very heartwarming in that way. And, you know, all that stuff at the end with her father also sort of comes out of nowhere like the movie ultimately becomes a a father-daughter movie yes it begins as a very traditional boyfriend girlfriend movie coming of age story and then by the end of it 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 really does focus in on ioni sky in a way you don't expect oh yeah you know john cusack kind of takes a back seat to it no quite literally when she's hugging her father at the end right yeah 100 percent um and yeah i i just think like that's a great touch um because it shows you know, how Ioni Sky is coming to distrust this role model figure in her life and how she's coming to trust another man and, you know, how her relationship with her father influences the relationship with the boys in her life. And, um, yeah, it's just it's a really smart script. It's an underratedly smart script. I thought, I would, thought it was actually quite great because the movie is so equally about both the almost the love story between her father and uh, and and uh, John Cusack. Right. Or Lloyd. Right. I, I'll call him Lloyd. And not in an but, obvious way. No, like no, no. in On the Rocks from last month. You know, no, it's it's <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> it, it kind of reminded me in that way. I mean, it's it's very different, but similar to just like the. I don't know, like how Lady Bird is kind of a love story about the mom and it doesn't become apparent until like the very end. It's like, oh, that's what it was really all about. 100%. You know, and this one takes the 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 circumstances surrounding that love story to a greater extreme than that one does. But at the end of the day, like it's really exploring like how this girl is defined by her father. And regardless of the fact that she disagrees with a lot of what he's doing or a lot of what he ultimately has to do. um, uh, yeah, she can't help but love him too. Yeah, it's just so it's so nice. I don't know. I I really love the movie. Yeah, I mean, really. so much great iconography. Mm-hmm. I, I again cannot say enough about how good John Cusack is. Like that scene where they're at the high school party and he's just like making that expression where he's he's got his chin pointed up and he's he's looking over his shoulder to make sure she's okay the whole night. Like it, it's just not only great comedy, but it's also so tender and so mm-hmm. sincere. 
Um, he he really is just like the perfect boyfriend in some he ways. He is no, exactly. You know, even the breakup scene, just the way he handles it, yeah, is so sad. Like he really does feel like the victim. <laughs> it's terrible, and then she realizes like what she's done, and it, there's there's hardly any words in that moment aside from him just being like, "I can't believe you're breaking up with me." Right, and then there's just silence, and then you just read everything on their faces. I just think it's so well so well done. I gave her my heart. She gave me a pen. <laughs> it's a great line. <laughs> Uh, this was a James L. Brooks movie, or at least it was produced by James L. Brooks. Um, it was his idea. As a matter of fact, he saw a man walking with his daughter down the street and wondered what would happen if the father committed a crime. Mm. Um, so it, it I, you know, you can see a lot of the James L. Brooks influence. Uh, one of the great comedy writers of all time, James L. Brooks, uh, certainly had a profound influence on Cameron Crowe. Um, and like, yeah, I'm just a sucker for these types of 80s movies, man. I'm always going to love a movie like this. That but this is a good It's movie. a romance, but there's something more under the surface boiling there. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's it it's not just like a, a, a cheesy rom-com. Yeah. Which is some people might expect for it, but it's not that at all. Yeah. This awesome is the, movie. This is the year for substantive uh, rom-coms. Definitely. I, I always have trouble saying that word. Substantive? Substantive. How do you... Substantive? I didn't say it right either, so I don't know why you're asking me. Substantive. <laughs> Substantive. There you go. I think that's right. Yes. <laughs> there we go. When they shot the movie, the scene with the boombox over John Cusack's head, Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes playing, uh, they did not use the song In Your Eyes. Oh, it was really? changed in post-production. The original song was by a band named Fishbone, and uh, it's called Turn the Other Way, and it's like a instrumental, like, big band record. Tell me now, try to imagine the scene with this song playing in the background. Please explain to me what they were thinking. <laughs> Like, I can get down to this. I don't but. mind the song. It's just, uh, it doesn't work in the context of that scene where I'm reaching out to you Stella style. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's supposed to be, I'm longing for you, not like, let's get down, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I don't get it. Me neither. That to me is just Cameron Crowe being like, yeah, I was a rock music critic once. And here's a record that no one's ever heard before. Was it his choice to do that? And then they must have been. Did he make the decision to change it? I hope he did. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like that is just hipster Cameron Crowe, like showing off in my opinion. Like his movies are very, you know, they have, they are indebted to the music of his generation. And he loves inserting the music that he listened to into the movie um but yeah no I, I don't understand that at all thank god they changed it a little too niche man yeah a little too niche a little too might as well have just played trap mask replica <laughs> <laughs> dead poet society yep is next directed by peter weir starring robin williams robert sean leonard ethan hawk a young ethan hawk and josh charles winner of best original screenplay as i just said also nominated for best picture best actor and best director Maverick teacher John Keating uses poetry to embolden his boarding school students to new heights of self-expression. Mm-hmm. Um, quick story about Dead Poet Society. So when I was a freshman in high school, um, we, uh, we had a Spanish teacher that had a mental breakdown. Total mental breakdown a week before school was slated to begin my freshman year. 
This was actually a teacher that we had in middle school. She had moved to the high school and I don't know what happened, but she decided I'm going to stop being a teacher a week before school started. (laughs) So another Spanish teacher in the school said, I know I'll call my son, my unemployed son, who's just like bumming around. I don't know if he still lived at home, but he was just bumming around, not doing anything with his life. So she's like, I'll call my son and uh, he'll just like substitute teach until we find a new teacher. So for four months, the first four months of high school, freshman year, our Spanish class was taught by a guy that did not speak a lick of Spanish <laughs> and uh, and uh, did not have any teaching credentials whatsoever. Okay. Okay. So, you know, first couple months, needless to say, were a little tough. Reading textbooks with a teacher that didn't know how to explain it to us. Uh, occasionally like watching like the Lion King, but dubbed in Spanish, <laughs> you know, that's basically okay. Until one day where the guy, I remember the guy's name was Ryan. He just goes, you know what? We're just going to watch my favorite movie in class and it's going to have nothing to do with Spanish. We're just going to watch the movie in English. Oh my God. And that movie was dead poet society. Okay. That was the first time I saw the movie, Dead Poet Society. How does that skew your perspective? I don't know. So, I mean, I loved that class, obviously, because I was a (laughs) knucklehead kid, and all my friends were in the class, and we loved goofing off for an hour a day. Why wouldn't you? And that was, like, a pretty fun day, sitting around just watching Dead Poet Society in Spanish class. Uh, and I watched it and of course I loved it because I was a kid and I loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a movie that kids love because it's a movie about high school. It's a movie starring Robin Williams. And I I think quite notably, it is a movie with a lot of great young actors in it playing pretty well-defined children. Yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just like a, a great high school movie and, uh, you know, I've seen it a couple times since then, but every time I watch it, I just think back to that moment in high school. (laughs) Now, I will say the older I get, the older I or the the more I, I sort of relate to Roger Ebert's take on the film, which is that this is just a Hollywood cliche and every single cliche is played out as you would predict it. And at no point are any of these cliches subverted. The Robin Williams performance is a quite good one. I think if anyone else is in that movie, it just fucking bombs. I just think it's a bad movie if Robin Williams isn't in it. Uh, at times, I think he starts veering towards shtick in a way that gets a little tiresome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the ending is just weird. I just think it's a weird ending that's a little too on the nose. And um, it just doesn't really work for, for me anymore. I, I like the movie. I I, uh, I think it is certainly a relic of its time. And I understand why it's nominated here. Um, but I think 30 years later, we're comfortable looking back and saying, yeah, a little overrated. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? No. All right. <laughs> no, I love this movie. Okay. I've seen it like God a shit ton of times. Every time it's on, I kind of catch it. And a lot of that is, uh, I think it has nothing to do with like the high school experience. These, this high school experience couldn't be further removed from what my high school experience was. As a matter of fact, it's, it's pretty alien to me. I don't 
half the time I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I just, I guess what I appreciate most is just like these kids longing to express themselves in a way that they're not allowed. It's just nice to see characters like break out this way in a very endearing and inspiring way. I don't know. I connect to that a lot. Uh, I connect to the idea of having a teacher that kind of shows those ropes for you mm-hmm. in a way that he, he's never condescending. He's never forcing your hand. You just kind of respect him for everything that he is. And that's why you go along with yeah, him. That's been done a lot, but okay. Sure. I don't care. It's a cliche. I don't, I'm not even disagreeing with that, but it's very, very, very well done here, you know, with a tremendous amount of heart and craft by Peter Weir, who is again, even with this movie, I'm just like, Jesus, this guy can direct a movie. Yeah. Cause any other director would have taken this material and turned it into utter you know, schmaltzy dog shit. Yeah. Cause it is veering into the schmaltzy dog shit territory. Yeah. But I don't think it ever quite goes there. There's just something about it that is a little more tactile and authentic to everything that goes on. And even if like, like, I don't know, the story beats are something that are written in every single spec script. <laughs> right. It's just like, I don't know. The handling of those elements is just so well done and well thought out. And it just, I don't know. It earns those schmaltzy elements. Shall we say it was produced by Disney and I think it shows. Yeah. You know, like it is it is very much a Disney movie and a lot of those beats are very familiar. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think some of it is Peter Weir. I think some of it is that young cast. I think Ethan Hawke is actually really good in this movie. Is this his first movie? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was. Um, and Robin is is just great. I mean, he's fantastic. Is it even in my top five Robin Williams performances? I don't even think so. Mm, you know, it's if not top five, it's like just out of it. It's in the top ten. Yeah, sure. sure. So, but I mean, he's done this a lot, kind of. Yeah. And his Goodwill Hunting performance, uh, obviously, like that is the performance. But you know, he's playing a lot of those same beats, but it's so much more authentic there. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I really do think the the Robin Williams performance is and uh, Goodwill Hunting is almost separate and apart. There's something so much different about everything that he's doing there. I think there's more Mrs. Doubtfire in here than there is. Oh yeah, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, personally. but it works in Mrs. Doubtfire yeah. though. It works in Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah. I mean that's entirely the point of the character. Exactly. Yeah. You know, here maybe it's that they just use these quotes in Apple commercials. Maybe that's what it is. Oh, Captain, my captain. Yeah. Maybe it's, just, you know, carpe diem sees the day boys. I mean, people love this movie. I know. People love this movie. Maybe it's just, they, they use it a little too much in advertising and it, it feels a little inauthentic. You know, it's just, it's just sort of like, Oh yeah, this is like, when they say you should read poetry, this is what you imagine it's like <laughs> when you read poetry. But really, it's kind not of, like this. A cult of kids meeting up in a fucking den. That's the weirdest thing about the movie. I don't know. Yeah. It's a single girl that would agree to go to these the, these little like 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 caves with yeah. the, with these nerdy snot nosed glasses kids. You know, like smoking, I know a few, but smoking they, were, they were strange. No, no, no. But these <laughs> these are not strange girls. Okay, these are fairly gregarious girls, and I'm just like uh, I definitely hung out with some girls like this. I <laughs> that were that were definitely way too amazed by mediocre poetry. Oh, it's gonna shock you to say this. I don't think I ever hung out with girls like this. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I ever did. I which is why when I watch this, I'm like, what the hell are you doing there? Get out of that fucking cave! Right? Like, oh man, it's ridiculous. <laughs> there was no one would. Do do that but regardless <laughs> i get the sentiment i get the idea that it's like okay the kids are showing these these girls like a whole new world a whole new way of life and it, it, it's sweet in that way just again this is where the reality starts to break a little bit but whatever yeah. it's a movie yeah <laughs> as i like to say a lot it's a movie yeah it is a movie yeah. and it's a it's a movie for children 
ultimately, right? Like it is a movie meant to appeal to kids, even if the subject matter is a little more mature than that. I'd say it's more mature enough to not quite be for kids. I would not pandering. No, I mean, I wouldn't show this to like, like my, my eight year old. I don't think he'd be able to get through it. Yeah. I think he'd be a little put off by the fact that there is a, uh, like a suicide by gun in sure, this movie. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that, and it's a pretty sad scene. And then what follows with, with the friends is also incredibly sad. I don't know. Or the punishment. You know, I, and let's talk about that ending for a sec. Everybody knows the ending of Dead yeah. Poet Society, right? We're not spoiling anything here? I don't think so. Spoiler. Yeah. Uh, never fucking worked for me. What? Always felt a little too on the nose that that suicide ending. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just feel like there is a way to convey isolationism without that. You know, maybe you don't think so. Works for you? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I never had an issue with it. Just a little too on the nose. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it's that it's on the nose so much as you don't like that type of harsh stuff. No, I'm cool with harsh shit. I just <laughs> really. I, I don't know. In my movie know. about a poetry teacher, I don't know fine i guess this is the whole point to like 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 test those ideas you know and i mean with a with a with a kid who's so bottled up and so desperately wants to be more than what his father's telling him to be that he just he, he's so pressured that he doesn't know what else to do yeah i don't know i makes sense to me i don't know you're just using a fucking jackhammer when you can just use a pickaxe you just you, that's what it is that's what i'm t- that's what i'm trying to tell you you don't like jackhammers even if it's the Correct. right, even if it's the right decision. Correct. Well, what if it's the right choice? Maybe. Maybe it, the academy certainly thought so. <laughs> oh, here we go again. I told you. I fucking told you guys. Let me tell you some shit about the behind the scenes of this movie. Uh, this is how close this movie was to becoming an absolute shit show. Okay, here are some ideas that Disney had. Early on in the notes process, Disney suggested making the boys' passion dancing rather than poetry. As well as a new title, Sultans of Swing. <laughs> focusing. That's a great name. Focusing on the character. <laughs> That's a great name. I want to double down on this. That's a fucking dope name. It's a terrible name, but oh my God, I love it. Focusing on the character of Mr. Keating rather than the boys themselves, but both were dismissed outright. This is Disney's brilliant idea. <laughs> I think Katzenberg was running the studio oh at the time. God. This was his fucking genius idea. What's a worse idea? This or Quibi? Sultan's <laughs> Swing or Quibi? I don't know. It depends on who you ask. Do you, if you're asking Movie Hall of Fame, it, it's as bad as Quibi. But if you're asking why is this a thing, we would be talking about Sultan's Swing. Fucking, don't you think? Fucking Katzenberg, dude. <laughs> uh, at first, this was thought of being a, a Dustin Hoffman project. Hoffman was going to direct and star in it. Uh, those plans were quickly scrapped. And then they landed on, there were a couple other guys. Tom Hanks was discussed. Mickey Rourke was discussed as the lead role. A person that I think was cast. And then when the original director dropped out, Peter Weir took over. He replaced him with Robin. But the initial guy cast was none other than Liam Neeson. Interesting. Interesting or terrible? I think I would use the word terrible. I mean, I don't know. This is this is 80s Liam Neeson. You I know? guess. I, I don't know. Had he done Darkman yet? No, I don't think he had. Okay. I think there was 90, right? 90 or 91. Something like that. I don't know. He would have been a relatively unknown at that time. So who's to say? I don't know. I don't know. Would it not d- have worked. It, you, we- <laughs> this movie came very fucking close to being terrible. That's yeah, all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. I don't I don't fully disagree. Sultans of Swing starring Liam Neeson. Yeah. Sultans of Swing. Fuck yes. Let's make that movie. The, the 2021 remake of Dead Poet Society. Sultans of Swing. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. Starring Dwayne the Rock Johnson <laughs> and Kevin Hart. Yeah. Uh, whatever. I think it's a. I think it's a very good movie. Mm-hmm. Me too. I think it's very good. Um, but yeah, the older I get, <laughs> hasn't aged perfectly. Next is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Boom. Directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Harrison Ford, River Phoenix, and Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Why is it that whenever somebody dies, we always happen to be talking about one of their movies? That's what I was saying. This happens all the time. Yep. Like I said, killing two birds with one stone with my quote. Don't you worry. <laughs> you'll, you'll see. I would suggest that James Spader go to the doctors immediately. <laughs> Oh no! Get your annual physical. Yeah, the weirdest one was the the the, the young actress in Days of Heaven. That, yeah, that was strange. It's weird, man. Winner of Best Sound Effects Editing at the Academy Awards, also nominated for Best Sound and Best Original Score. In 1938, after his father, Professor Henry Jones Sr., goes missing while pursuing the Holy Grail, Professor Henry Indiana Jones Jr. finds himself up against Adolf Hitler's Nazis again. To stop them from obtaining its powers. That's Spielberg, man. What has he got against the Nazis? Always knocking the Nazis. Seriously. Funny story about that, as a matter of fact. There was a scene in this movie where they're at the Nazi rally in Berlin. Um, and uh, there are a bunch of Nazis that are giving a Nazi salute simultaneously. Spielberg asked these actors on set to put their left hands behind their back and to secretly cross their fingers as they were doing the Nazi salute because he was so uncomfortable being in the presence of people saluting Hitler like that. So (laughs) crossing the fingers. They didn't actually mean it in case there was any doubt. Didn't actually mean it. It's a little, uh, it's a little, uh, dramatic there. Old Steven always knocking the Nazis. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Man, we've been defending the Nazis a lot lately on podcasts, haven't we? No, we haven't. <laughs> Shut up. That's not what we've been doing. It's a joke. It's a joke. We are not serious. Man, we've just been going back to that well a lot. That's all I'm saying. Because it's funny. Maybe let's move on to the, the fucking the Soviets. You what know? Do you want? Oh. Maybe let's, let's... That doesn't roll off the tongue. You're, you're always knocking the communists. Oh, there, there goes Steven. <laughs> Knocking the commies, I see. <laughs> there goes Trump knocking the communists. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah. uh, this is my second favorite Indiana Jones movie. Is this your second favorite? Of course it is. Okay, it is everybody's second favorite. If it's not their second favorite, it is their number one favorite. Right. Um, I've never quite been there. No, me neither. For reasons like like I think it's a fantastic movie. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think like like maybe it it might surprise you. Part of the reason why this is not my favorite is because it feels like Indiana Jones in a way has lost a lot of his edginess. Mm. You know. Yeah, and you know I, I remember as a kid thinking that that was awesome. Um, you know I I think I did all of these movies within the course of a week. I was just obsessed with Indiana Jones for a week of my life. <laughs> Um, and I remember, yeah, watching that second movie and seeing the guy pull Indiana Jones's heart out of his chest. And, you don't like that movie, do you? I mean, it was very dark and I remember just not getting it and just being very turned off by how adult it was and how violent it was and how gory it was. Um, I mean, it's gory by Spielberg standards, I guess. Uh, 
And I think, you know, this movie was a return to form. Sean Connery was in it. Like, it was just Spielberg playing the hits in a lot of ways. And I think Spielberg is very honest about that. Like, he had to regress a little bit after that second movie. It was not commercially received very well. Critics didn't love it so much. Um, I mean, and- it was a hit and commercially. It was the, cr- the critics were sort of like, whoa, what, whoa, whoa, what, is, what, was, what did you just do? Yes, there was some backlash to yep. it, though. So he sort of pulled back and said, all right, I'll just make the first movie again, essentially. <laughs> and as a kid, I... I embraced it and I liked it a lot. And I do think the older I get though, again, the more I start appreciating the weirdness of that second movie. Yeah. <laughs> and the more I look at this one and I'm like, Oh yeah, it's certainly fun, but I kind of preferred it when he was pushing the boundaries. Well, this is the thing. I mean, it's not to say that Spielberg doesn't like the second movie. He's talked very fondly about the original trilogy for, for years and years and wisely. So I don't think the second one has a poor legacy at this point either. It yeah. still has some detractors. I, I watched it recently, man. I'm like, for all those detractors, I don't get a single one of them. I just, it still fucking kicks ass. It's awesome. This movies kick ass. I don't give a shit. It's a great movie. It's yeah. so much fucking fun. Um, but on rewatching, I, I did this strange thing. I went to Raiders of the Lost Ark and then went to this one. Okay. And I was actually shocked by like, like the, the, the level of intensity in that first movie versus this one. Yeah. And I don't, I, I, can't figure out what it is there's just something about the texture of that first movie there's something about the handling of the camera and the direction a steadiness to everything that goes on and just the 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 handling of also like the more mature elements of that movie it just feels like more of an authentic piece in a weird way and again i don't want to call it mature in the in the strictest sense but like it's indiana jones I, I, i just don't i don't know how you describe that there's just there's there is a seriousness to that movie that for me is not present here well there's a rebelliousness to that first movie yeah too. that's true maybe yeah. that's what it is it's like, also that era of of like film brats kind of becoming who they are too so i mean i, I don't think there's any scene quite like the scene where he just shoots the guy Mm-mm. um with with the machetes in in the in the first movie there's none of that in the third movie of just sort of like that hard edge bad boy harrison ford at the center like this is a, another spielberg movie about daddy issues and that's yeah. cool that's what spielberg does very well and sean connery i think is great in it oh I think, yeah like yeah. he elevates this movie in a lot of ways um it's actually one of my favorite connery performances um but yeah i think you're right i don't think it has that that hard edge that the first one did and it certainly doesn't have the hard edge that the second one did nope. um and yeah i mean it's another movie i don't think it's aged poorly for me by any means but i think you're right there is something missing there is something missing here. Mm-hmm. Some people have argued that this one has more heart. And I mean, in a way, that's not totally false. But again, the authenticity to that first movie is sort of what drives it for me. Like the yeah. heart, even though the, the, the first movie is, is uh, a little more brooding, I would say, there is some, for me anyway, there is something more authentic about that relationship in a lot of ways with like him and, and Marion personally. Yeah. Or just the way he, his friendship is with like Sala right. and, and everything. I, I, I even the, 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 the rivalry between him and uh, Belloc. I, and I, I, again, when talking about like the aesthetic of this movie, I, I, I always compare um, like like the scenes where they're running around in Venice. And then I compare the opening scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark and just how much of a film it feels like, yeah. you know, just the craft and the shadows and the, the time it takes to unveil the pieces of who Indiana Jones is to oh, that yeah. glorious character reveal that is not fucking around. Yeah. Uh, and in this... You know, it starts off with Indy as a kid, sure, <laughs> and then it transitions into Indy, Indy when he's a, an adult doing that kind of shit eating grin and getting his face punched. Like it's very well done, yeah. But there's just something extra about that first one that is is not quite present here. Now, 
that that's me defending why I think the first one is a much better movie. Yeah, no, I think we're on the same page there. This movie's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> this movie's really great. I don't, yeah. I don't want to besmirch Last Crusade because I love everything about it. Still, I again, it it depends on the mood. Am I in the mood for like the pure Indiana Jones, or am I in the mood for something not terribly dark but still awesome? Mm-hmm. You know, Last Crusade. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, like every Spielberg movie has heart. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just by by the fact that Steven Spielberg is directing it, there is going to be heart. Even if he doesn't try, like he cannot help himself, there is going to be some schmaltiness and sure. some and some charm to every movie. I guess Jaws has fucking heart. Yeah, <laughs> that's you know? a good point. Yeah, I I think the, the the only time he maybe like like ventured out of it was Munich. Yeah, even that though, to a degree, it's still a Spielberg movie. I know you yeah. say that it's not. It's still a Spielberg. It is movie. the furthest thing that we've ever had from from Spielberg disconnecting from his Spielberg isms. The fact that it's right. a, it's a super bleak and upsetting ending. Yeah, he just never ever does that. Right. So it's just nice to see him like show that he's pissed off and presented on screen. Yeah, because that's what he was in that movie. He was angry, and yeah. that's why he made the movie. Uh, and we never get that out of Spielberg. He's always like. The, the happiest he can be even when he's making that the fucking twilight zone debacle sure so you know what are you gonna do though I, yeah <laughs> i i don't i don't hate him for that like some people can't stand him for those reasons but i don't really care as long as his stuff works and you know this this ain't an exception yeah it's a well-oiled machine this movie mm-hmm. like just everything works 100 percent. the pitter-patter of the, of the dialogue between the two of them harrison ford and sean connery is just immaculate yep. just really fun like that scene where they're tied up in the chair and they're in the burning building <laughs> our situation has not improved it's, it's so fucking good <laughs> <laughs> the dialogue in this movie, by the way, so good, so good, so so good. Yeah, um, and I, I think actually Chris Columbus did, did the first draft. Uh, the first draft. I don't know yeah. if he was ultimately credited, but interesting. Um, yeah, he took the first pass at it. Um, yeah, uh, and playing a lot of the same hits. I mean, that climax is not that much different than the first movie. Other than the fact there's a seven thousand year old knight just hanging out. It's. I would but, say it's distinct enough. It's the same. Like we're going into like like test our, our limits in this like mythical way right i don't think like, and we're gonna open up a treasure and maybe someone's gonna burst into flames <laughs> i don't think the layout of events is the same though like, yeah. like there there's more of like that video game progression <laughs> that's kind of what it is like the video game progression in that in that last act that's not quite there in the previous two it, yeah. it, it's different enough for me like the thing I, I love about the original honestly all the indiana jones movies is that they are all distinct movies yes i can watch one and i know exactly which one i'm watching yes for better or worse Sometimes, that's true but but n- n- certainly for worse than the fourth one i don't hate the fourth one i know you don't <laughs> uh will we ever get to the fourth one one day i would love to do a pod about the fourth movie because i've one always day. had thoughts on that movie maybe we should do like a guilty pleasures podcast I where we all like pick a movie that is that the 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 popular consensus is that it's awful well but we defend it i because it's not technically a guilty pleasure for me because i don't think it's a bad movie okay. I, I defend the movie i i do come out hot on, takes maybe okay sure maybe a hot take yeah, yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah i think that's a good idea because i always come out on the side thinking it's a good movie it's just not a great indiana jones movie yeah let's think on that yeah i would love to that's actually a good idea hot takes pod yeah let's think on that one okay yeah let's pick a couple movies that yeah. positive hot takes of course yeah right because that's more interesting than saying oh i fucking hated nashville like who cares sure uh, no i'm talking about like elysium for me yeah oh you know what i'm great saying Great idea oh i love it oh, okay 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 I, i'm down something okay. like that we're we defend maybe next week all right all right that's a good idea think that one over i like that yeah <laughs> but yes uh uh r- regardless um 
I mean, just just the set pieces in this movie too. C- combining the fact that they're just well orchestrated, well directed, and they're just epic and awesome, and you feel for the stakes of Indy in every single scene. This mm-hmm. is something that has been written in so many fucking essays over the years. <laughs> but when people talk about like action movies yeah. and giving their characters vulnerability, this is one of the prime examples that they point to with like Indy on the rocks, with the tank being pushed against the cliff like that. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome stuff, and everybody should do it. And I think we've started to get more of it over the years now. Yes. Because there was a point in time where superheroes dominated everything, and there's no vulnerability there. But now with like there, there is an element of that to, to John Wick and his adversaries. So Sure, even though John Wick is never going to die. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but like the original Die Hard had that. You sure. Know? And they, people want more of that, but they, they, for some reason people just want their – or they, for a period of time they wanted their heroes to be invulnerable. And I also – I have to say like a lot of the, what makes those uh, uh, set pieces so charming is just the banter, like you said, between him and his father and even Marcus at the end. Yeah. I just really like it. It's just so much fun and it's creative and clever and it's so memorable. Like, like uh, it, even though like there are similarities to the other movies, it doesn't feel like it's necessarily ripping off the, the original or temple of doom. You know, mm. it separates itself from me. Yeah. hundred percent. Don't go to film school. Just watch Spielberg movies. That's really what we're saying. Because like you can learn enough just by watching Spielberg do his thing. <laughs> you can learn a lot by watching fucking Predator. You really can. I'm, yeah. I'm not kidding. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Um, over 2,000 rats were bred for the production of this movie. They had to be bred specifically as ordinary rats would not have been riddled or, or ordinary rats would have been riddled with diseases. So they had to breed 2,000 rats that just hung out, I guess, on the Warner lot. <laughs> and ate each other. Yeah. There were rats, dad. Rats? Yeah, <laughs> big ones. Uh, yeah. Great movie. It's a great, yeah, what do you want? I don't think it's a candidate for induction, but... I mean, there's an argument to be had. I think some people would argue for it. It's one of my favorite movies on the list. Uh, I do like it more than Dead Poet Society, and maybe for, for nostalgia purposes, I have a deeper love for it than say anything, but they're close. Yeah. Yeah. Great movie. All right. Next. Born on the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. Written and directed by Oliver Stone, starring Tom Cruise, Kira Sedgwick, and Willem Dafoe. Winner of Best Director and Best Film Editing, also nominated for Best Picture, Actor, Adapted Screenplay, Cinematography, Sound, and Original Score, a tour de force at the Oscars. The biography of Ron Kovic. Paralyzed in the Vietnam War, he becomes an anti-war and pro-human rights political activist after feeling betrayed by the country he fought for. All right, th- now's the time. Uh, no Oscar for Tom Cruise here? What the fuck? It's not my favorite performance. What the fuck? <laughs> it's not my favorite What performance. the fuck? <laughs> How? It's not my favorite. Well, come on. No, even you. Even you. <laughs> even you and your skepticism for Tom Cruise. Because they don't. This think- is a bridge too far. <laughs> this is a bridge. To- He's incredible in this movie. Um, what more do you want him to do? He's incredible. He's all over the place in this movie, man. That scene where he's breaking down and yelling at his mom. Penis. 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 Come on. I hate to say it, Nico. You're going to have to carry the reins for this movie. I saw this movie two years ago. I don't remember much about it. Oh. I don't remember much about it. Oh, man. I remember, like, I remember Tom Cruise yelling penis and telling, going to the family, saying, like, he killed their son and all that good stuff. Like, it's, I remember it being very good. Eh. (laughs) Wow. I'm not the 
biggest fan of this movie. I think it's I think it's one of those movies that I always acknowledge as good, but I don't like go out of my way to like like praise it on the hills. I know. Tom, I remember Tom Cruise being very good, but I don't think I it's think a little more than very good. I don't think his performance is better than it is in Rain Man, though. I mean, both are great performances. I think I would maybe put this one ahead of it. It's not like it's not even my favorite performance that I saw out of these movies. Really? Uh huh. Oh, I know which one you're going to say, but no, absolutely not. No. No, still, still feels like Tom Cruise to me. And, oh, would you and stop it's, it? And it's hard to separate Tom Cruise. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's that is insane to me because yeah. I, I have always held this one up as the yeah. standard when anyone criticizes Tom Cruise. I'm like, just fucking watch Born on the Fourth of July. Yeah, but then you forget they're also referring to Born on the Fourth of July. Who is? They are. Who are these people? <laughs> they are. Me is. <laughs> what don't you like about him? You just you just find it hard to separate pretty boy Tom Cruise from the character. No, there's lots of actors like that. Kevin Spacey is an actor where it's like I see him. It's very difficult to separate Kevin Spacey from Kevin Spacey. Yes. And uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is a similar way. Sometimes breaks out of it, but not all the time. And Tom Cruise is almost always Tom Cruise for me. Almost always. Yeah. And it's not that much different from here. Even though I acknowledge that it's a very good performance. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I still see the Tom Cruise-isms coming through and I find them annoying. Hmm. I, you have to understand, like, I grew up, like, never liking Tom Cruise. No, I get it. I just, like, saw I saw him and I just turned the movie off. I just thought he was obnoxious. So, it, you know. Which is also part of the point here, though, right? I mean, it's part I, of the point. Is, is that it? He, yeah, it's like he's the charming pretty guy that, you know, loses... The control of his legs and is like a pathetic cripple. Yeah, <laughs> that's part. I mean, I don't know. It's part of it, and he's also like not a particularly likable character the entire time. Which I would is say something, the, uh, for me, it's the entire time. That's also the issue. Fine, which is also something I kind of find admirable about this. Uh, Ron Kovic, I think, wrote the memoir that inspired this movie. Is obviously a very public figure. I think ran for Congress at one point. Is a legend in Staten Island. Uh, uh, a very high profile political activist. To see the movie go there and to just depict him as kind of a dick, Mm -hmm. you know, that uh, had a very troubled past and did some shit overseas that he's not proud of. And like, at no point does this movie glamorize his life or glamorize him as a character Uh, to see the movie go there is I I think very admirable. And you just don't see that often enough in biopics like this. Um, And it is a very sweeping biopic in that Mm. way. Covers his childhood, covers his Vietnam era, covers after going to Vietnam. Um, It, it, you know, it it tells the entire story of this man. And yeah, at no point do I think that it's revelatory or, um, or rosy eyed at any point. Um, And yeah, I I kind of think it's a great movie. I don't know. I, I fucking love this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I fucking love it. I don't know. I think the best director Oscar is very justified. I sure. I think it's in the running for one of Oliver Stone's best movies. You're not a huge Oliver Stone guy, too. We should point that out. No, I'm hit or miss with Oliver Stone for the most part. You like Savages, don't you? I haven't seen Savages. Okay, but you do like uh, um, Natural Born Killers. Of yes. course. Yeah, okay. Love Natural Born Killers, love JFK, love Platoon. I like love Wall Street, love it all. Yeah, yeah I love those three that you just listed, too. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you liked Savages, and if you like Savages, I might have to kill you. Have you seen Savages? <laughs> yes. I have not. Oh, it sucks. Okay. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> um, and it, you know, this just has a lot of those Oliver Stone touchstones, um, but not in the way that you would expect. This is one of three Vietnam movies that Oliver Stone made. Platoon, I think, is the best one. Um, but uh, 
it, it sort of takes those same storytelling devices, takes the same camera techniques, takes the same tone, brings it back home. Mm-hmm. Not a new concept. Like the real war is the one being fought on, on the mainland. It's being fought at home. Uh, coming home, obviously, uh, is is one of many examples of this theme. But yeah, I, I think it's kind of fascinating to watch a war movie that really doesn't take place at uh, at the scene of the battle. Nope. You know? And I don't know. I just think that's cool. It's a bit of a cliche to say the real war is the one being fought at home. But truly, that is what this movie is about. It's about coming home and, you know, becoming an activist and 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 uh, using your voice to fight the battle rather than a gun. Um, and it's really bleak at times. And like the scenes at the hospital are really fucking disturbing when they're in that room, just shitting on the floor. Mm. Like, Oh my goodness. That fucked me up watching it for the first time. Um, that, that hospital is just horrible. It's a horrible, horrible place. And it's like, man, why don't we treat our veterans better? (laughs) Uh, Listen, anti-war filmmaking is hit or miss a lot of the time. Uh, we roll our eyes at uh, a lot of movies like this, but Oliver Stone has always approached the subject matter with an authenticity and a realness and a and a bite yep. that no other anti-war filmmaker has ever done. And I buy it here. I, I really love this movie. And it's not saying I don't buy it either. I don't. I, I keep roping back around to this. I don't think this is a bad movie at all. Yeah, I call it a great movie. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I should watch it again. It could just come down to that. Yeah. You know, sometimes that's all I need. I'm not like, I wouldn't even totally be upset if you were to induct this movie. Okay. But, I, I'm not sure it's my front runner, but. No, it's not mine either. But um, yeah, uh, I mean, for for me, I guess, yeah, I there's there's many scenes in this movie that always kind of like move me. I think the, the, the most powerful for me is when he's at dinner with his brother and he says, look at you, man. Oh, yeah. I gotta go. It's like, that's. Yeah great stuff and it's fucking heartbreaking but it sort of paints the whole picture for you you could almost just do a short film about that scene and it would be beautiful yeah so Cruz is amazing in this I'm sorry he's really and not only is he (laughs) off the wall and he's screaming and he's breaking down and he's falling out of his wheelchair and he's getting hammered but like in the quiet moments too the shit he does with his face is amazing I don't know I, I just think it's a brilliant performance and like he should have an Oscar by now. I'm sorry. Tom Cruise should have an Oscar by now. And I don't think he'll ever have an Oscar. I guess he didn't paint with his, with his paralyzed leg or maybe then he would have gotten the Oscar that year. Oh, uh, you know, if only he knew how to hold a paintbrush in between his toes. He's a Scientologist, man. He's never going to get an Oscar. Okay. Good point, I guess. And he was a Scientologist. He's a Scientologist. Here. That's why they didn't give him the Oscar. <laughs> Yeah, he was painting with not with his legs, but with Scientology. That's why the performance is so good. Scientology. I love Daniel Day Lewis. I think he's a brilliant. He's probably one of the five best actors that's ever lived. But sure, come on, it's amazing. It's an amazing movie. Do you know this first time you watched it? I didn't really pick up on this, um, but it's mostly shot in shades of red, white, and blue. Um, oh, interesting. The war scenes are shot in red the dream sequences are shot in white and all of the scenes at home where he's sort of, you know, drunk and, and, uh, making a fool of himself. It's, it's blue. You definitely notice that when he's going to like the hookers or when he meets up with like the uh, Willem Dafoe's character and whatnot. He's yeah. also so good in this movie. Oh my God. Great in this <laughs> movie. Is awesome. At this all movie. that stuff in Mexico is so seedy and gross. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. How do you know I didn't kill any babies? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that's horrible. It's, it's horrifying. <laughs> it's fucking awful. It's horrifying. Yeah, I think it's I think it's great. Uh, also, should note 
three Baldwin brothers are in this movie. William Baldwin, Daniel oh, yeah. Baldwin, and Stephen Baldwin. They do not share any screen time, which makes it very confusing because you're like, oh, Baldwin. Wait, I just saw you over I, there. You were just there playing you, another guy. Did you teleport? What is it? What? what? Yeah. <laughs> three and, Baldwins. Did they just all show up to set? <laughs> They're like, we're going to cast you, but in different roles over here and over here. I don't know. And Alex not in it. So I, I don't know. Good movie. Good movie. Good movie. Yeah. Apparently I like it more than you. You do. You definitely do. I guess it's no dead poet society though. No, not even close. (laughs) Sex, lies, and videotape written and directed by Steven Soderbergh in his filmmaking debut starring James Spader, Andy McDowell, Peter Gallagher, and Laura San Giacomo nominated for best original screenplay at the Oscars winner of the Palme d'Or that year. Steven Soderbergh was the youngest director to ever win that award. 26. Uh, Yeah. And uh, a sexually repressed woman's husband is having an affair with her sister. The arrival of a visitor with a rather unusual fetish changes everything. Again, shocked. You had not seen this movie. No. Shocking to me. This is is the one that had been like highlighted on my list for a long time. I just never got around to it. Yeah. So I knew about it and I knew what it was about. I was just like, okay, like I'll get to it next week. And that that week just never happened. Mm. Until now. Until now. Yeah. Until now. Yeah. Talk to me. Yeah. I think it's uh, pretty great. Yeah. Except for the ending. (laughs) Oh. I would have loved the movie if it wasn't for the abrupt ending, honestly. Really? I honestly didn't think it paid off very well. Um, cause that is a, St- a Soderbergh trick. It is a trick. Yeah. And I was, I would, I noticed that and I'm like, okay, he was, he's, he's, he's been doing this for a long time. I see. Yeah. And it's worked in other Soderbergh films for me for this. I just kind of left, like, I got the point and I was like, okay, that's it. I almost wanted more of a coda, if that makes sense. Okay. I didn't quite get that. I wanted something to kind of leave me with, uh, you know, not to, not to talk conventional. I'm, I'm not one to love conventional shit, but I don't know. I would have loved a little more of a bow because it kind of goes for that in a way. Like everyone gets their comeuppance. Everyone is satisfied towards the end with every character arc. You know, the bad guy. Did you want a happy ending? (laughs) It's not an unhappy ending, though, is the thing. Okay, It it is a happy ending, technically. And I'm just like, and okay, like the sisters are in good shape. The husband is going to get fired and James Spader is going to probably get with the girl. And and I'm like, okay. All right, cool movie. Did you want something more bitter? It could have been bitter. It could have been happier. I just wanted something a little more uh, definitive, I guess, or, okay. or more more proper closure. It just felt abrupt and it didn't feel right. And once it ended, I'm like, well, that can't be the ending. And then I looked it up. I'm like, oh, okay. So I didn't watch a bad version. <laughs> that was the ending. <laughs> then I shouldn't be doing that is what I'm saying. I shouldn't be looking at like a Wikipedia or like a, a YouTube video or something and, and questioning whether or not my player was was messed up. Yeah. You know, that's a problem to me. Okay. So so there was that. Otherwise, um, this is an awesome script. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with uh, with a great conversation about its subject. And you know me, sometimes the subject matter feels very trite and annoying and it from from my experiences, it, it doesn't offer a lot new that I haven't heard before. But this one somehow managed to talk about this subject in a way that was very, very refreshing mm. and interesting and disturbing. And uh, I was kind of locked into it the entire way. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, definitely. It is a dialogue-heavy movie. Um, Soderbergh wrote this script in eight days on a I, legal pad. I don't get that. I How do, do people I, write scripts that fast? I, I don't understand Steven Soderbergh. That guy is, if he is not at least 
like if he doesn't have one of those fucking Elon Musk chips in his brain, I mean, I, I would think he's a Terminator. Like, yeah. honestly, it's I, crazy. He just, it's, just pumps out. So he breathes and he's already written 10 screenplays. It's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's, insane. it's fucking weird, man. He's a weird guy. I'm just saying he's weird. He's a very strange guy. He does not stop. No. Um, yeah. I mean, this is you're 100 percent right. Like, it's a it's a very good script. It's a groundbreaking script. Mm-hmm. It's um you know, a script that introduces the world to Steven Soderbergh, but also kickstarts the 90s independent movement. And this is the movie. This is ground zero yep. right here. Uh, this was an early Miramax movie. It won the Palme d'Or, was not even supposed to compete for that award, got some Oscar nominations, dirt cheap budget. Uh, the production value, although this movie looks incredible, you can tell that there is not much money pumped into this thing. Um just point blank you don't have the 90s without this movie no you don't have quentin tarantino um you don't have paul thomas anderson you might not even have the coen brothers in 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 their current iteration if not for sex lies and videotape Um, maybe it it showed that it was possible to make movies at that shoestring budget um and for them to reach a, a national audience and also um you know be beloved by critics it's a great movie, and it, I, I would argue it's the most important movie on Probably. this list for that very reason. Uh, James Spader, I have gathered that's your favorite performance. Yeah, man. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa! This this <laughs> caught me off guard because this performance is fucking incredible, man. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Like I didn't expect it to be this good. I I like James Spader enough. Uh, I've always thought he was a funny presence, particularly in The Office. <laughs> some people hate him in that, but yeah, I, I can't stand him yes, in The Office. I think he's really bad. In the yeah, office. some people hate him. I've always kind of cracked him. It's, it's 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 always cracked me up. I don't I don't necessarily think he's the best fit for that show, but just something about him. Just I just I'm always laughing. That being said, I love him in Crash. Okay, I, I haven't. seen You need him. to see some. You would love Crash, yeah. dude. Yeah, yeah, you gotta see. He's so good in that. Um. Yeah, though, man, like I was I've I've I was like thoroughly surprised by how good this performance was. I was actually like fascinated by everything that this character was doing. And yeah, I, he's a real creep. Every decision he makes is just I can't think of anything better. That's the, that when I see a performance and I'm just floored that 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 an actor got to this place and just so clearly understood the character to his core where it's like it feels like you scooped this guy off the street and you didn't even tell him to act. Yeah, <laughs> that's how good he is. <laughs> it's just unbelievable and it's like one of the most distinct performances i've seen in a while i think it's great yeah 100 yeah. um it's a pretty uh I, I don't want to use the word cliche but it's a pretty well-worn like structure for a movie i think like if you take out that performance if you take out the soderbergh direction and just his overall sensibility it's not that far away from a lifetime movie right it's not that far away from like the you know the the like the desperate housewives suburban erotic intrigue you know <sighs> sisters sleeping with sister or sleeping with with husbands and uh you know the pervert videotaping women and like there is a lot of very like salacious like uh like paperback novel quality to this story you could say the same thing about blue velvet though couldn't you certainly i would so, definitely say the same thing so, about blue velvet yeah. but it, it's entirely about that director's voice and, and 100 you know and hand on the wheel you know, and that's what, you know, genre doesn't matter to me. <laughs> sure. No, I, I, neither to me. Yeah. They just take the subject and they know how to play with it. Yeah. And yeah, like I, I'm, I'm dead serious. This is one of the more unique versions of that story that I've seen in a while. Yeah. So. I mean, part of it is that direction. Like yeah. he does get the most out of that camera. Like the zooms, the pans, 
it's not much. It's very subtle, but everything just works perfectly. And you see how this guy can ultimately make Ocean's Eleven, or how this guy can ultimately make Out of Sight. Oh, yeah. Um, the guy just understands the camera better than perhaps any director of his generation. He gets so much out of those very simple movements. Even, you know? even just like the spin shots, like where she's uh, essentially interrogating James Spader, and it's just doing that 180 degree. Yeah. It's a dolly shot, just moving all around him as he's trying to like come to conclusions on who he is yep. or what he wants to do. It's really, really smart. But again, like eerie. Yeah. This is an eerie sort of like dread soaked movie. When it, re- again, the story doesn't necessarily call for that, but it's appropriate. It's appropriate. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't enter the story thinking that, that it was going to be so like just, just nasty without being overtly nasty. There's, yeah. some, there's something very odd about this movie. I think there are also certain directors that would lean into the exploitation mm. nature of it that would sort of uh, make it more of a broad sex comedy. Mm-hmm. Like, I think about that scene where the husband is laying there with the flowers over his dick. They, yeah. He's, and yet, like, that is just... I don't know. That's just sort of a silly, like, sex comedy. Like, I, I think I would see that in Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, a, a shot like that or an idea like that. But it is played so bleakly and so quietly. And it's like, it is in some ways a sexy movie, but also in some ways it feels so, so wrong what these characters are doing. I know. Um, and it's just very interrogative mm-hmm. about sex and about adultery and infidelity. And, yeah. uh, I think like Soderbergh himself said about the movie that I'll actually have the quote right here. Uh, when I look at it now, it looks like something made by someone who wants to think deep, but really isn't <laughs> to me. The fact that it got the response that it did was only indicative of the fact that there was so little else out there for people to latch on to. Um, so, he, you know, he sort of sees it as like a dorm room, take a hit of the bong. Like, let me tell you about sex. Uh, but I actually think it's, I, he doesn't give himself enough credit there. I actually think that it is very smart, um, and very probing and, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a fucking masterpiece. I definitely don't like all the characters. There's that. Yeah. Uh, I think the sister character is, is horrible. I think the husband's horrible. I, even to a degree, like, I mean, they're all sort of deliberately frustrating. It's just, you come out on one side for sure. Yeah. I might even argue that this, the adulterous sister doesn't get enough comeuppance, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, though, I, no, I, I kind of disagree with him. I think dorm room conversations won't even get close to the level of intrigue that you get out of this movie or the level of discovery more more than anything. Sure. Because those questions that he asks, you might think are a little like, mm, like, why are you going here? But the answers that these women come, come up with are, you know, actually kind of change your perspective. Those scenes are captivating. Yeah, man. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, they're totally captivating. Um, we're talking, of course, about James Spader's fetish. He is um, an impotent man. Cannot get an erection unless he films women discussing the details of their sex life. And then he gets off to it in private. I don't think, I think impotent is out of fashion. I don't think I've, I was like, oh my God, that was a thing, wasn't it? Impotence? Impotence. Yeah. Well, I think it's still a thing. No, but I mean like if you're talking with, if you were to have a conversation about somebody, I would never describe it as impotent. I would just say, I can't get a boner. Oh, you're saying the clinical the, the, term. The term, yes. Impotence. I'm not saying the, these people Oh, I think, don't. no, I think the disorder still exists. Yes, yes. No, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with that, but I was like, oh my not God. Not like I would know anything about it, but yeah. you know. It's the, <laughs> sure, it's my impotent. dad's impotent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, sure. No, but anyway, <laughs> he films... He films uh, these women and... and 
you know, it's, it's a very sort of invasive scene. The, the two scenes where he films the two main women in this movie are very invasive. They're very gross, but also like incredibly revealing. Um, and I just think like that device of using the video camera and like the, that sort of sleazy camcorder aesthetic, um, I just think like it's a really interesting device to mm-hmm. use to discuss uh, sex. Um, and Soderbergh is nothing but creative when it comes to plot devices. And yeah, this is just incredibly polished and incredibly smart and incredibly mature for a first time director. You just don't see a lot of debuts like this. Oh, it's a hell of a first time film for me. That's what I think I was most taken by. Cause like, you know, you get into any first time film, you think it's probably going to be significantly rough around the edges, but this honestly was not at all. Yeah. It, it, it's closer for me and you'll probably hate me for that, for saying this. It's closer to uh reservoir dogs than it is. Um, uh, she's got to have it. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, sure. Okay. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> I mean, if those are the only two choices. <laughs> well, I think one is super amateur and I think the other one. Oh, is, I, oh I got is, you. Is I, I got you. Well-polished film. Got yeah. you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, finally. Oh. You done? You want to say anything else? No. <laughs> Let's move on. When Harry Met Sally. Mm-hmm. Written by Nora Ephron. Directed by Rob Reiner in the midst of that incredible run. That will never be duplicated. No, just seven fucking classics back to back to back to back to back. Well, um, it's it's, uh, it's him and it's uh, Denis Villeneuve, really. It's really the only two, aren't, aren't they? <laughs> uh, starring Billy Crystal, Meg Ryan, Carrie Fisher, and Bruno Kirby. Side note: We'll talk about Billy Crystal, Meg Ryan in a second. How great are Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby? Oh my movie? god! Don't get me. They're so good in this. <laughs> <laughs> they did it. Oh, we're so happy for you. You were always. <laughs> We knew you were right for each other. I love that scene. Oh, well, sometimes it so doesn't much. work out. <laughs> yeah. Who's that? That's Tom Brokaw on the television. You don't like the table? I hate the table. The wagon wheel table. <laughs> oh, could, my God. It could not be uglier. <laughs> oh, my God. Perhaps the greatest symbol in the history of cinema is Nora Ephron's fucking wagon wheel table. <laughs> Yo, Bruno Kirby walking that wagon wheel table outside after they criticize it. That is so good. <laughs> they all, they're almost, I, I'm happier almost more when they come on screen than, yeah! than Billy Crystal. And, and there's Meg a Ryan. lot of Billy Crystal yeah, and Meg Ryan, but Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher. Oh my goodness. So good. Amazing. Uh, nominated for best original screenplay. Harry and Sally have known each other for years and are very good friends, but they fear sex would ruin the friendship. Man, haven't we heard this one before? Yes, we have. Haven't we all, right? Yeah. We've all been there. Mm. Uh, yeah, this movie, like uh, every romantic comedy is this now? Like everything? S- s- yeah, for sure. Every single romantic comedy is this movie. Um, it has uh, every trope that you come to expect out of a movie like this. Um, at the time, it was sort of criticized as karaoke Woody Allen. And I think in many ways, this is a is like the Woody Allen movie that he never made. Yep. Um, you know, really what it is, it's the Woody Allen movie. If he understood women a little more, mm, that's a good point. Yeah. Right. That's sort of what this is. Um, but like, it's a fucking perfect movie. Yeah. And <laughs> you are never going to see me say one ill word about it. Yeah. We've come to, we've come to another one. People, what do you want us to say? Yeah. What do you want us to say? I love every decision in this movie. One of my favorites, one of, Ab- it, it is Abby's favorite movie. Yes. Fun fact. There uh, are multiple women in my life where that is their favorite movie. Yeah. They love this movie. Yeah. Which I want to talk about, too. Yes. Obviously, 
the woody heads out there like me uh we argue about is it crimes and misdemeanors is it hannah and her sisters is it annie hall what's your favorite woody allen movie like um those are movies that to a certain generation of film nerd will always be near and dear to their hearts um but all those nerds are men Yep. Right. Pretty much. They're all men. A- Annie Hall. They're all fucking loser men. Annie Hall is well liked by a lot of women. I know that. Okay. I know that. But it's mostly men. <laughs> Maybe. Let's, I, gu- let's I guess. When Harry Met Sally again has a lot of those character beats. But this is a movie that if you were to poll a hundred Americans, like more women like it than men. This Probably. is a this is uh just a favorite of lots and lots and lots of women. And I don't know why because i'm a man and i love it and i know men that love it too but it there is something uniquely female about this movie and maybe it's nora efron's script um maybe it's meg ryan's character what i can't figure out though is like are women attracted to billy crystal uh i guess that's really what i'm asking is billy crystal hot no 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 no. i don't think it's come comes down to that at all okay i think it's entirely the questions they're asking okay i think when when men and women talk about their love for this film they're almost exclusively talking about like the seinfeld-esque what-ifs or the seinfeld-esque existential questions around mundane scenarios sure where it's like oh huh never thought of it that way like men and women can't be friends the yes. famous men and women can't be friends which i don't totally agree with no i get the sentiment i, pro- I probably agree with it more than you agree with it but i i know of course i don't I agree with the 100- platonic friends yeah exa- i don't agree with it 100 percent is what i'm saying i i see exactly the point though that they're making and i think that's where the film like piques everyone's interest and why they sort of have fun with it because they as soon as the, the the movie sort of runs with those questions and tests them as it goes along and I don't know. For me, it's always like bouncing back and forth whether or not I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And that's sort of the joy of the movie for me. Yeah. Because <laughs> it depends. It completely depends on who you're with at the end of the day. So do you think that women are more interested in that question than men are, though? Because, again, I think like, yes, although a woman the- writes this script, like a lot of these sentiments are very like male centric, like Billy Crystal's whole speech when they're in the car driving back from college, like Woody Allen or Noah Bomba could have easily written that shit. Yeah, I know, I know. You know, so what is it about, like, because obviously there is something there. Like, I'm not denying the phenomenon. There's definitely something very feminist about this movie. I I just can't put my finger on it. Well, I don't think the women, they, they definitely put themselves in the shoes of Meg Ryan's character, because I don't think any of them start the 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 movie like necessarily believing in what billy crystal has to say and he does sort of get his comeuppance and he does see sort of the error of his ways and he's sort of punished for behaving and acting the way that he does and i think a lot of women relate to that in the sense that like oh you 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 guys thought you were all the shit and look at what happens to you sure when you're really put to the test and the women treat you lower than you've been treating them it's like hmm yeah okay yeah, I'm not sure that's what Meg Ryan does here, though. No, no, no. But that's what happens to Billy Crystal's character. Yeah. And they're sort of waiting for him to, to I don't know, <laughs> to, to learn to care about someone deeper than, you know, it's all about sex, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get it. I get I don't know. It's complicated. D- do women think about the friend zone, though, as much as men do? Because I don't think women even think about it. That's not true. You and I spend all our life thinking about that. <laughs> I, I, I like in my experience, women have not been that interested in these topics. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Uh, I don't, I mean, I wouldn't say they're uninterested in the topics. They, it's, I mean, it's, def, they're definitely aware of it. Uh-huh. I think there's more women who don't realize they're friend zoning people. Sure. But uh, again, because here actually Meg Ryan gets friend zoned. It's not, 
Billy yeah, Crystal. Exactly. Yeah. But I think it, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe again, it, it sort of tests the, the, the sort of women's awareness of those things and whether or not they think it's a good thing to do such a thing to their friends, so on and so forth. Yeah. You're just curious as to whether or not like they're as concerned about it as we are. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling to understand why women love this movie so much more than men. Because it, I, I do think like a lot of these concerns and anxieties are very male centric. And I, I think Nora Ephron does a brilliant job of capturing those things with a touch of like, you know, feminine perspective. I don't know. But I just keep coming back to like Woody Allen. This is it's almost a Woody Allen movie, but it's not really. And I'm trying to figure out what that something is that's missing. Do you know what I mean? Well, there's definite. It, it sounds funny to say, but there is actually like a sweetness to this movie that is not quite in a Woody Allen film. That's true. It's more innocent. That's true. It's, it's, I wouldn't even call this a totally innocent movie, but it's far more innocent. It's than, Rob Reiner. Yeah. 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 There's a little less edge to it. I mean, there's like hardly any infidelity yeah. <laughs> in this movie. Right. As, as opposed to a Woody Allen film. That's true. Um, and it, it's also the way they talk about this stuff. Even just Meg Ryan's delivery of the line, I'm difficult. Sure. Know? That's a very women thing that for some reason a lot of them seem to connect to. That whole scene and the whole conceit of what happens in that moment. Right. You know. And at no point, and this is, it's just a great script. Nora Ephron was just oh, yeah. a fucking yeah. awesome screenwriter. Um and this is probably my favorite Efron script. Yeah, mine too. Is it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, although, like, I have a soft spot for Seepless in Seattle and, and shit. I like You've Got Mail. Sue me. I like it. Would you like a piece of my poppycock? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, at, at, she, she, uh, she really just has a touch for the sincere and has a, has a touch for how romance and courting actually goes. And like there are none of those cheap rom-com tricks here, you know, that you're right. There's not like the other woman. There's not like, you know, a, a, a crazy misunderstanding, mm. you know, there's not a phone call that wasn't received at the right time. You know, there wasn't like a, there are no like big sort of obstacles that these characters have to overcome. It's just, you know, these two people are into each other, but they don't quite know it yet. And like they have commitment issues and you're going to learn about these commitment issues and you're going to learn about the opposite sex as you watch this movie, no matter if you're a man or a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just so fucking smart mm -hmm. and also so fucking funny. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, and, and part of that I think is Billy Crystal. He had a lot to do with like the screenplay. I did hear a story about how, you know, the, the scene where they're doing the wave at the, at the yeah. football game, that was a rejected SNL sketch oh. that Billy Crystal had written for SNL and they took the dialogue that was already in Nora Ephron's script and they superimposed it into that premise. Interesting. So like, and I think I'll have what she's having was also a Billy Crystal line. He came up with it. Rob Reiner obviously had a lot to do with the story itself. Um, but like there is just, a, it's the perfect storm. It's the perfect storm. A movie like this shouldn't be as good as it actually is, but it is really the best version of this <laughs> yes, story. I agree. I agree. You know? Well, Yeah. I'm I'm still caught up on like like the the idea of like what the women like about this. So I I mean I don't know. Maybe it's easier for me to believe that women will like this maybe a little more than you would. I just think some of the conversations are per perfectly I I don't know relevant to what women are concerned about too. I don't know. Yeah. I don't. I'm 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 not totally uh, against like some of these conversations. It's not like I like e even with with. Uh, I don't know. Even with some of my friends, like these, these topics have come up that were not exclusively male. So, yeah, you know, it's okay. It's just, I don't know. We're talking as men here <laughs> as a thing. So what do you want from us? Yeah, no, I get it. I, I, I also can't get past like, is Billy Crystal hot? 
Because was he ever hot? I think like he's such like a nubbish like Woody Allen character. Again, I keep coming back to this. Like Woody could have easily played that character. I think women. I don't know. Again, I don't know why I'm talking about this. (laughs) I'm guessing, based on all my estimations, most women would probably consider him adorable. Right. Yes. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. (laughs) But Meg Ryan's fucking hot. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Former squeeze of my father, by the way. (laughs) That's not true. That's not true. (laughs) Yes. Your father did indeed fuck Meg Ryan. Yeah. Bang Meg Ryan on many occasions. You're actually the the bastard child (laughs) of Meg Ryan. When I watch all of the movies, I just see, I just cry. I I miss her so much, guys. (laughs) Yes. Your father went to high school with Meg Ryan. We will always bring that up. Always. Um, But like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. Awesome. Yeah. Oh my lord. And which which makes it so much sadder to see her now and she's eh. I, I love me some Meg Ryan. She's just trying too hard, man. I know. Just I a know. little less Botox. <laughs> You're Meg Ryan. You can but here's the thing about Meg Ryan. She can get away with anything. True. She didn't realize that. She's America's sweetheart. Yes. Yeah. Like Drew Barrymore figured that out. Mm-hmm. Meg Ryan did not. No. Meg Ryan just kept trying to be like the smoking hot twenty something. And no. You're Meg Ryan. You should be hot in your 50s. Doesn't mm. matter. You don't mm. need to get the... Ah. She's great in this, though. She's great oh, in she's this fan. movie. It's fan a great fan. performance. Yes, I agree. I agree. It's sort of her star-making role, too. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. Her character, I, as I just said, like, it's... It, the script is very subtle. Her character is taken seriously. There are none of those tropes. Everything about it is, is, is insightful, too. Yeah. Like, it just, like, illustrates these these ideas that we... Again, when I talk about Seinfeld, it's like, we've all thought about it, but we've never actually talked about right. it. Right. You know, it, almost as if we've been afraid to do it. And you actually, oddly, like, need a television show or a movie to talk about all of that. Right. Especially if the filmmakers are confident that it will hit big. Right. Because then, like, now now we, are, we feel comfortable talking about this stuff, which beforehand might have been sort of taboo in a way. Yeah. So I really like that about it. My my point though is that uh, I understand why a, a man would be like like it, it's so Annie Hall right like but her n- character is very similar to Diane Keaton and but Annie women Hall. do like Annie Hall yeah they, they do, do. They really do because I think they connect to it they you know get what it, it really comes down know. to women are just fucking smarter than us aren't they yeah they're just smarter that's <laughs> it, really oh, all it comes you're down just to. learning this that's now all, you know no i knew it but it's just it's all it really comes down to i'm just reminded of it constantly i hate to say it's it. just men will only like a rom-com if it's like oh she's so fucking hot yeah. and a woman will be like yeah you know i can actually dig these themes they'll dig it level. But, no but here's the thing <laughs> the women will be smart enough to be like yeah i dig it but this movie was bullshit yeah <laughs> in terms of a rom-com i right. mean Dude, we're doomed. The women have us beat. Come on. 100%. What do you think about that ending? Because originally it was not written as the happy ending and Reiner was very against it. And I think even Efron was against it at first, but they ultimately changed it for whatever reason. Are you, are you okay with them actually getting together at the end and getting married? Yeah. Okay. Cause they wanted them to remain friends. That was the unit because they thought that was the more realistic ending. Not from my experiences. Yeah. You're ha. one. <laughs> Yeah, you're living a fucking rom com. Yeah, I, I literally. <laughs> no, of course, I of course I have to like the ending because that's literally what happened to me. <laughs> you're such a fucking moron. <laughs> it's, it is literally what happened to me. I come on, man. You're like the trust fund kid that's yeah. like, yeah, I love the movie where they lived in the mansion because that's what my life was <laughs> like. Give me a break. I'd never do that. I never percent. I never. It's a hundred percent. Yes, I know. I never do this ever. But like, it's the one example. Come on, I, I'll indulge. Give me a break. 
<laughs> Harry Connick Jr. score is great in this. Yes. Just having a blast uh, tickling the ivories right there. By the way, did we mention Cliff Martinez did Sex, Lies, and Videotape? No, we didn't. I, I, I kept forgetting that he did that. Yeah, yeah. The, the former Red Hot Chili Pepper, Cliff Martinez. By the way, his first film score. Yep. I know. And he's done where he is now, working with Refn all the time. No, and Soderbergh. Yeah. He still works, yeah, with, sure. yeah, still works, with he works all over the place. Yeah. He think, I think he did the score for Game Night. Which did he? Which is actually a very distinct score. It is a good score. Yeah. I didn't know he did that. Oh, wow. But Harry Connick Jr. does it here. It's just really good. Uh, AFI actually called It Had to Be You, the song from this movie, number 60 on their top 100 um, movie song list. I'll Have What She's Having is number 33 on the quotes list. And this is also the number six rom-com of all time, mm-hmm. according to AFI. Um, yeah, a, a perfect, yes. perfect movie. Yes. A fucking perfect movie. Yes. I fucking love this movie so very, very much. You've actually uh, talked pejoratively about me referencing this movie before, as if I didn't like it before. You're like, watch more of these movies. Watch what Harry met Sally, Adam. It's okay. That kind of stuff. <laughs> what? What was the context? Uh, VHS 2. Oh. <laughs> You're like, why do you need to watch these movies, Adam? Go watch When Harry Met Sally. Fuck you. It's like, I love When Harry Met Sally. I love When Harry Met Sally. What's your deal? When have I ever talked, you know, like negatively about that thing? It's a great movie. Leave me alone. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So I, I personally think this is a two horse race. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Personally, I, I think it's Sex, Lies, and Videotape and When Harry Met Sally would be my top two. Mine too. Okay. I mean, for three, it's it's personally those two and then Last Crusade, but, you know. And then maybe, although Say Anything's right there. I loved that movie. Well, you, you can make the case for Say Anything if you want. I can't make the case for Say Anything. Okay. <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying. Oh, I'm willing to hear it out. No, I mean, I, I, I absolutely loved it, but the only reason it would get in is if I use one of my vetoes. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Yeah, that veto, though, is is looming large over this podcast. Your two vetoes. Two vetoes. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going anywhere for They're a while. Looming large. <laughs> um, yeah, so... You know, I think they're both perfect movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they both achieve very different goals uh, because they are aiming at two very different things. It's similar. They're on. They're in that same. They're on the same coin, but very different sides of that coin. I would yeah. say. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred um, percent. Sex, lies, and videotape. I think is more important. Uh, I think it had the greater impact. Although, when Harry Met Sally did define generations of rom-com right oh, there's an impact for when harry met sally for sure you can't deny it that it's just a very different impact you sure. know so it's, it depends on what you're measuring off of i do think sex lies and videotapes has a more important uh uh, uh impact that yep. being said i do think when harry met sally is a better movie personally if i were to give it quality i'd have to give that to it uh-huh. um, i don't think it's a better directed movie but i do think the script is probably better and i do think like it is the more just because it's more collaborative, I think. Yeah. I think like it's the more perfect, like hermetically sealed product. It does feel like that movie where it's like everyone involved was at the top of their game and helping to make just this perfect piece. Sure. Whereas Sex, Lies, and Videotape is just Soderbergh. And there is some Spader in there as well. For, oh, yeah. For good measure. But. I want to stress this. I am, am floored by how good Spader. Like this is going to go down as one of my favorite performances ever. He's I, great. I loved it. He's great. Man. Um, And then, you know, Legacy... Uh, be honest. Yeah, the women love their when Harry met Sally. And they are ha- men, and yes! they're men. Yes, <laughs> I love it. I'm a man. I love it. Yeah, come I fuck, on. I fucking I love, love it. it. I love it too. Um, you know, the more obvious choice. Uh, Rob Reiner is already in the movie Hall of Fame. We should point that out. Uh, Princess Bride is in there. 
Here's what I want to say, though. Go ahead. We've been getting very weird lately. Yes. Haven't we? We've done our fair share of what the fuck choices were that, which is not a bad thing. Right. We've, but we have had a fair few of them. We've all, we're sort of like, we're on the pendulum swing right now. It's okay if we want to do something a little more obvious. Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> it's up to you. <laughs> God, I just think sex lies and videotape, just the impact is, is, is hard to measure almost, you know? Like when Harry met Sally, we, we see shades of it in Judd Apatow movies. You know, we see shades of it in, um, you know, Paul Feig movies or whatever. Uh, Sex Lies and Videotape, it is an entire generation. It's an entire industry. It affects directors and producers and writers and actors. Um, it even changed television in many ways. Like, if you don't have this movie, you do not have the just sort of the uh, the the damn opening in the 90s and you don't see all of these incredible voices come out of that era and you just don't have a lot of great art if this movie did not pave the way for it when harry met sally uh you still have a lot of great art without that movie um it has a place in the movie hall of fame yeah you you just you just don't have uh you know, you, you would just be missing out on a really great rom-com, but rom-coms would still be rom-coms. Well, this is the thing. It's the same Blade Runner argument. You don't, you, yeah. you have a movie that is not only influential in its own right, but makes influential movies that go on to be more influential movies, not necessarily more influential than Blade Runner, but they go on to inspire more waves of people as well. And then right. they inspire more waves. It's like, like there's not much of a domino effect with when Harry met Sally as there is with like Blade Runner and sex lies and videotape. Sure. That's the important thing. Okay. Um, so for that reason, I will say sex lies and videotape, but I can be persuaded otherwise. The only thing I've got is like, okay, is there a, is there an, uh, do we do a rom-com pod? Maybe. How many good rom-coms are there? <laughs> Not like, many. Like, is, <laughs> and that's the thing. I would say there's enough to do um to do you know five or six yeah the only funny thing about those other pods is that we, we, we're literally only doing it to get like that move that one movie in <laughs> that's the i mean we could maybe do nora efron okay we could maybe do nora efron one day because that is definitely a yeah a subgenre that we have not covered i don't think we've ever done a nora efron movie on here no besides this one right no so that would be the in there. Soderbergh, I think we do all the time. But have we put a Soderbergh movie in yet? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. That could be it. Yeah. His most important movie, one of the more important films of a, of a certain era. Yeah. I'm not against it. Okay. Like I said, it's not my favorite movie on the list, but, uh, but it's not a bad choice whatsoever. Okay. So are we good with it? Sure. Knowing that this should really be do the right thing. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the, like, <laughs> that's the other caveat, too. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's a good question, though. Which is more important, that or Sex, Lies, and Videotape? It's pretty close. Probably. I, I think I'd, I'd give do the right thing the edge. But, okay. but so we're good with it? Yeah. Okay, congratulations to Sex, Lies, and Videotape. <laughs> Steven Soderbergh, welcome to the Movie Hall of Fame. Okay. Fine choice. All right. Very good choice. Good year. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Great, great year. Good year. Good podcast. <laughs> Not a bad one. Not bad I've seen. Wor- I've seen worse. Certainly, I've been involved in worse. Um, Most of which, all, you know, exclusively, probably have all been with me. <laughs> you know it. Uh, <laughs> what do you want to do next week? So we have this uh, now hot take idea. I would not mind doing hot takes. I really, because I'm looking at the year 1970. 
I wouldn't mind talking. We, we have to talk about it eventually, but I am actually kind of interested in coming back with a list of movies that <laughs> both of us have, you know, positive feelings on that I know most people hate. Okay. Not a bad idea. So let's do that next week then. Uh, I'm going to have to sleep on it and, and really dig through. Um, I have a couple. Dig through a bunch there. Do you want three and I take three? Yeah, I think okay. so. There you go. I think that's the move, right? So maybe we'll talk about it off air and then we'll we'll I, get into it. I already have two off the top of my head. Okay. so Great. I'm going to have to watch uh, Crystal Skull again. Yeah, if, well, if that is one of your selections, right? You're going to have to watch Alien 3. Oh, no. Okay. But you'll have to watch the assembly cut because right. that's what I'm going to be talking about. All right. Okay. Yeah. I, I and I'll definitely have a few for you. Okay. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad all the Pink Panther movies are gone now. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, go to the website tmt.media or too many thoughts Vote in the Frank draft. It's here, baby. The Frank draft. Oh, I'm nervous. Why is this a thing? We did Dave draft Frank edition um, because the Dave draft was such a smashing success. Uh, we decided to go dip our toes back in the well. I'm rolling in it, man. And uh, like, we, we drafted a, a legion of Franks. Me over home. I'm okay. I'm bathing in my money at, at my house right now. Over yeah. The Frank draft. I'm just... Could not could I'm over the moon, could not be happier. Yeah. You know, I'm very happy to represent you people on, so, on the air here. Join the Discord, hit the link in the sidebar of the website. Um and yeah. Join it, vote, let us know who had the best team of Franks, and listen to why is this a thing if you want to hear the draft as it played out. Um and there we go. That's it. Hot takes coming next week. Yep. Can't wait. Yeah, me neither. And uh don't hate me for my quote, Nico. I'm just trying to make people laugh. Okay, well, until next time. Moo, that's the sound your mother made last night, Trebek. <laughs>